Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A. FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Dave Hanrowdy and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 365 of the No Encore Music Podcast. We're back in the studio and uh, yeah, it's an interesting episode. I mean, I'm going to take a second to introduce my guest. Uh, I'll say first of all, thanks for all the good feedback on last week's episode. It was about Lakelands, the motion picture, which is in cinemas now. Go see it. Dahi and Robert Higgins are here. It was a lot of fun. I'm here, of course, now with uh, Sonic Architect Adam. He's back on the microphone this week. Yes, I am. Unfortunately for some, but it's great. Great to be back. I can't imagine anybody who wouldn't appreciate that. It's going to be a very, very busy episode. Um, we got a lot to talk about and a, a very intriguing top five. And uh, I've got a special guest. It's, it's a long time in the making. Uh, this, is a, this is a former colleague of mine at Joe when I worked there. Uh, he's kind of like a, a TikTok lad about town. Uh, he's a very well-known guy on the old, on the old social media. He's Donegal's finest, and uh, we've got his intro music here. So let's play it. Yeah, uh, appropriate that we played some ska music there for the one and only Hugh Carr. Hugh Ska, if you would. Uh, and I please ask that you don't. Uh, thank you so much. That was fantastic. I think you threatened that you were going to do that at one point. <laughs> Ages ago, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if threaten is the right word, but it was, oh, what a song, though, man. I Listen, Sami Zayn, Scammy Zayn. Uh, yeah. throw, I'm going to throw ska into every sentence that I possibly can. Uh, yeah, long-time listener, first-time caller, I think, on No Encore. Uh, yeah. Listening for... A while, and this has been happening. This has been in the making for nearly two years. We only know each other two years now, which That's is kind true. of scary. Yeah, uh, I was working at Joe.ie in a very, very disillusioned state. I think it was like a month back into the job when Hugh showed up one fateful Friday night. 
And I think on over Zoom, because it was still kind of pandemic times, and I was like, we're going to get through this, kid. And I, I don't work there anymore, but you still do. So yeah. well, listen, I'm going to get you through this, kid. <laughs> yeah, you're carrying on my legacy. Um, and also, you were supposed to be the first guest back in the new era recently, and I had to keep bumping you. Mm-hmm. So Hugh has been very gracious, and he's waited his turn. I totally haven't taken it personally. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Sure, sounds like it, you. I know, never. What are you <laughs> I'm only joking. About? I'm only joking. No, it was. In fairness, part of it was my fault because I accidentally d- double booked myself to do a, a comedy show the same night that oh, we yeah, were meant that's to right. be back. Yeah, yeah. So it really is part, part. It is partly my fault, and then partly the will of the gods that kept us away for so long. But now, yeah, you're very in demand. You're socially creative. You are a stand-up comedian. You have a podcast. Of course, you are a renowned Gail Gore. Mm-hmm. Can you give us like a, hello, yeah. my name is Hugh Carr and there will be no encore? Oh man, I would love to. Hello, my name is Hugh Carr and there will be no encore. That is not what I wanted. Listen, it's too late now. That's our new intro. In the Irish language. <laughs> oh, sorry. It's Mr. Sorry. It's Mr. Hugh McGuigara. Agsnive Ain Ashgar. There you are. Now, boom. I'm nearly sure that Ashgarm is the <laughs> uh, the Irish for encore, but listen, someone will take me up on it. Uh, yeah, just flat out, I suppose, is the only way to describe it. I just can't say no to things. I think we were talking about this before that I... We were, we were talking off mic about yeah, this, yeah. About how I have, I'm unable to say no to things, which is the only reason I'm here, actually, funny enough. Uh, I'm on the next one. Not sure, he's a huge fan. And he came up with the top five on this episode, yes. which is top five Midwest emo. Now, I should say, so it's not ska music, even though Hugh got out of his uh, chair and did the, uh, what, what, what's that dance the called? Skank, the skank, I believe, Dave. Uh, <laughs> did some skanking to Sami Zayn's WWE entrance theme there. and um, But it's emo we're talking about, Midwest emo, American Midwest. So, you know, you might think Irish podcast, Irish Midwest emo. The truth is, I don't know what that is. Uh, and I will say, maybe there's some wonderful Irish Midwest emo out there. Mm-hmm. We don't know. And frankly... We don't want to know. We're not. This is not the the, the audience that we're looking for. Listen, <laughs> we don't we don't care about any of you Irish emo bands that are going. Actually, no, I love some Irish emo. Tinfoil. Remember Tinfoil? Chewing on Tinfoil. Chewy, tinfoil. Tinfoil, yeah, Chewy yeah. I believe they were called. Chewy. There now. I was trying to remember what the the abbreviated version or the new version of it is. Yeah, Midwest emo from a from a Northwest emo. That's why I uh, kind of chose the topic. I like that. I Thank like you what you did much. there. Yeah. Thank you very much. What Hugh doesn't understand though, and what Hugh is about to about to realize, is that this week he's not going up against me. For the top five. He's gone up against me and Sonic Architect Adam's combined top five. Mind blown. What? Everybody. <laughs> da, da, da. Sorry, because you told me you were like, I've done loads of research for this. And I was like, oh, that's great. That's so sweet. But <laughs> why? And now, oh, okay, this makes way more sense now. Mm-hmm. Like you have a, a, a three page. I have a three page PDF prepared. Yeah. Yeah. It's happening. Oh my god. So uh, let's just, we'll hold all the top five talk until later in the show because we got a very fucking busy news section. Mm-hmm. So, oh yeah, sorry, one thing I do want to say uh, on the show real quick, if I may, before we go any further. Um, we recently implemented ads on the show, just like through Acast and the way that other podcasts do it. It's like, you know, there's like two kind of rollout things per episode and it's just to try and boost the revenue for the show if possible. We don't even know if it's going to have much of an effect, but we thought it would be worth giving it a try. However, I did notice at the weekend when listening back to the show, there were ads for some betting companies in there. And that was genuinely a huge oversight on my behalf. I want to apologize for that. If anybody was upset by that, I totally understand why. Truth is, not something I want to endorse, not something that no encore supports. Not something that I support, Adam, anybody. We're not into the promotion of gambling companies whatsoever. Once I heard it, I was straight on to Adam, who was straight on to Acast, and then they came back with a list of things that we can block. Weirdly, that wasn't there at the very beginning, but nonetheless, that is an oversight on our behalf, and so I don't want anyone to get the wrong impression. Uh, If that happens again, it's not supposed to happen. No, it certainly isn't. We've had confirmation from Acast that 
any and all of the listed um, or the like noted areas of advertising have been blocked from being advertised on our show. So it shouldn't happen again going forward. If it does, please let the show know and we'll happily take it up with ACAST. Yeah, that wasn't a purposeful decision. And, you know, while I understand that some some people might be like, that's fine. I, I totally understand what other people will be like, that's not fine. It isn't something that we want to have associated with the show. No, so it never was, never was. Anyway, from my point of view, where you were... No, it was a complete accident. And I listened to the other day and I was like, fuck, let's get rid of that. Um, so yeah, but like I say, we implemented that just to try and boost the revenue if possible. And speaking of, it's patreon.com slash noencore if you want to help support the show <laughs> and stop us from uh, going down a dark path of mm-hmm. uh, advertising uh, with gambling companies. Because yeah, sorry, genuine oversight didn't mean for it to happen. And with that, let's move into the new section, not awkwardly. Start spreading the news. And there is much news to spread this week, but we'll start with a with a live concert report. <clears throat> in that the live concert has already happened, but in the studio, Hugh Carr will tell us all about going to night one of the boss, Bruce Springsteen, in Dublin. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> are you doing the RTE thing, are you? Revelers were delighted with the sights of the boss in RDS's arena. I actually don't know if I can commit to this whole thing. Uh, yeah, no, so I was at the first night of uh, the the revelry, I suppose, that was the Bruce Springsteen uh, homecoming tour, because he is famously a big fan of Ireland and will show up in the randomest of places, including Rathangan in Kildare, in a pub with maybe like 12 people in it, which is incredible. Uh, I'm a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. Um, I read his book. I was obsessed with Born in the USA when I was, I think, 17 or 18. I like had decided, I did this thing where it was like whenever, when you're starting to get interested in like music as like, like in quotation marks, like music. I was like, I moved to Dublin for a month to do a show and I decided I was going to pick two albums to make like my personality basically for that like month that I was there. Like, two albums that I was going to be like, I'm going to listen to these and really digest these. And it was Graceland by Paul Simon and it was Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen. And obviously then just like kicked off this big love of going down this big dark rabbit hole of MTV plugged uh, concerts and vinyl and all this kind of stuff. So I was really, really excited that he was going to be in Dublin because I hadn't I seen the, him. Uh, I said the girls in the workman smoking area just loved you. Oh man, let me tell you. I was like, hey, have you ever heard of... Graceland. Graceland? <laughs> You've got diamonds in the soles of your feet. Uh, Lord. I, listen, I'm telling you, I'm a smooth talker. Uh, that might be a Paul Simon song, potentially. Who knows? I was... But so I... Bruce Springsteen was the other one that I was like, absolutely, like, I'm obsessed. I didn't get to see him when he was in Croke Park there. How many years ago now? I think it's like five or six years ago that he was here and I then made my way then as soon as they had announced the RDS gig I was like I, I gotta go so I went the first night myself and my good friend Niall who isn't really a Bruce Springsteen fan, fan at all and was very scared and confused as to why people were booing him when he walked on stage not oh, knowing yeah, the whole yeah. Bruce thing <laughs> he was so worried he was like this poor 73 year old man has has flown all the way over here to just be harassed relentlessly for three, by, hours, for yeah. three hours by uh, Irish fans but yeah no it was great and it was kind of crazy that I sat there or I didn't sat, sat there I stood there for three hours 
and was still like, oh man, there were some songs that I wish I could have heard. Like there were some tunes there that I actually would have loved. Like there was no Atlantic City. There was no I'm on Fire. There was no Tougher Than The Rest. There was no like, there was like really nothing from like Nebraska. Like there was loads of these big, huge hits. Sounds like a bit of a sham if you ask me. God, <laughs> hey, yeah, I, listen, this is an anti-Bruce Springsteen podcast now. I, well, I tell you one person who wasn't anti-Bruce Springsteen, it's uh, my former schoolmate, Clancy McGoldrick, who went to see all nine hours of Bruce Springsteen. Oh, oh, let me tell you, I, how can anyone do nine hours? Come back when you've done five in a row, mate. Well, <laughs> so, touche. All right, okay. All right, okay. All right okay. Dublin GA, calm t- down. <laughs> <laughs> it was ten hours a picture this. Fucking uh, hell. No, it was five 90-minute sets, so what's that? I don't know, I can't Quick take maths. Quick four maths. and a half hours? Yeah. Four and a half hours. No, yeah. 450, no surely 400, not. 450 minutes. Which then? 150 minutes. This is uh, listen, podcast, listen, yeah. listen, listen, not, listen not great. To, this is horrendous audio. Listen to maths. But this is this is no maths. Pie, no calculator. Two, <laughs> three collective men's brains breaking. <laughs> Nonetheless. But it was, no, it was a, a great gig. And, but I think the, the set list, I think they're like part of the appeal of a Bruce Springsteen show or whatever is that you don't know what's going to come up or whatever. And like he could play anything. And he very much played the same set list every night and played it like it was the same set list that he had played in Barcelona the week before. It was the same set list he had played in. So I suppose if you were that kind of person who went every show or whatever, I think maybe he added like one or two extra songs like towards the end, but it was very much the same show every time. Uh, but it, I mean, it's a great show. E Street Band are ridiculous and recently replaced the saxophonist, which I learned is how you actually say it because I thought it was saxophonist for years because uh, that just made sense in my head. But then my, fr- then my friend said saxophonist and I laughed at her over <laughs> over a dinner table and then she pulled out uh, the wiki, wiki entry on how to pronounce that word. That's what you get for mansplaining your, your friend there. And being incredibly wrong. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Listen, I'm a problematic king. Bellowing, <laughs> bellowing in a woman's face while being Fa- wrong. Fam- yeah, over an Italian meal. Uh, it was fantastic. But we... <laughs> Uh, they had replaced it with uh, Clarence Thomas? Clarence I mean, Clemens. Clarence Junior. Clemens, excuse Junior. me. Clarence Tom- or, yeah, Clarence, oh, sorry, Clarence. it was Clarence Clemens who passed away. Jay Clemens yeah. is his nephew? Yes. And did a fantastic job. And the rest of the East Street Band are all insane musicians as well. So it was just nice to be able to say, like, yeah, I've seen this you, iteration you of, that box. of the boss. Absolutely, yeah. I'm very happy that I went. Did he, as is tradition, close with his cover of Limp Bizkit's Rolling? No, I was very disappointed. Roll in, sorry. Roll apostrophe air raid siren, if I'm correct. Yeah. Uh, no, funny enough, he actually foregoed. Uh, actually, it was a very air raid vehicle, I think. Yeah, air raid vehicle, yeah, excuse yeah, sorry. me, sorry. Get it right. uh, apologies to all the hardcore Limp Bizkit fans that are st- sitting, in this, uh, sitting in the studio, actually, never mind uh, listening at home. But it was a, like, he actually dedicated a song to, and I don't know if he did this all the nights, but he had dedicated a song to Charlie Bird, actually, which was... Oh, he met him, yeah. He went, he to, met his, it was one of he went his, to his house, which was lovely, and he went to Shane McGowan's house, and they took a photo together, which looked very weirdly intimidating. It had a weird, just threatening air to it, where he mm. looked like kind of like Ray Winstone in The Departed or something. Yeah, 100%. He was shaking Shane McGowan down for money. 100%. Yeah, it was weird, but it was nice, it was touching. It was very yeah. sweet. And the Charlie Bird thing was very sweet as well, because yeah, Charlie... Bird has said that he wants to pl- have a Bruce Springsteen song played at his funeral. Yeah. And uh, this was kind of his last bucket list item was to meet the boss and he managed to do it. And then uh, Bruce dedicated a song to him in the encore, which is very sweet. And like, but like famously is the nicest. Actually, my housemate met him because his aunt is his gardener, <laughs> which is the weirdest collection of connections ever. Uh, but she managed to fly over and then got them backstage passes and he met them. And he said the same thing where he was just like, comically friendly and overly nice and just like 
just a sweetheart. Yeah, he was milling around on the days he was off. I was wondering what he'd get up to. And I, and I was trying to, like, come up with, the again, the RTE kind of newsreader package and, like, do the kind of, like, you know, from the Book of Kells, you know, like, <laughs> to the RDS Arena. <laughs> from the Book of Kells to the Book of Bruce. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> pretty much, yeah, like, folk, folklore and stories galore, both inside Trinity College's library and on stage at the RDS. <laughs> um, and I was thinking of another one where it's like, um, it's like, oh, God, it's so tortured. Like, I can't even, like, form it in my head. Can you, prote- you can't even, like, bring yourself yeah, to, no. to go full. And I, I'm trying to think of one where it's like, you know, most Irish revelers would turn down a, a three-hour appointment with the boss, but not when Bruce comes to town back in Dublin. You've done this before, Dave. Yeah, listen, for the last time he was in Croker. <laughs> he was in Croker. See, this is what I used to do in Joe all the time. So, you know, some people I'm sure are glad that I'm no longer reverberating <laughs> around those walls with my ace impressions and kind of journalistic nous, but I'm sure he misses it every day. I do. So thumbs up for a young rice about Bruce Springsteen. Listen, then. and I look forward to see what he does in his in his young career. I am I'm, I'm excited to see where he goes from this. That that sprightly seventy-three-year-old that is uh, running around, running rampant around the world at the minute. Well, let's talk about some live action that went down of an Irish nature this week, which, actually, no, sorry, the first thing we should talk about is that Pusha T has ruined the entire month of May. Famously. Yeah. By once again cancelling his Irish show at the last minute. Who saw this coming? like him, would it? Who Never. saw this coming? Do you know why? Same excuse, production issues. The exact same. This Copy and paste. <laughs> this is a man. <laughs> this is a man who gets on stage, generally from what I've seen, with a backing track... Yes. Mm-hmm. And just some basic visuals. Yes. And does some rapping. And what did he quote as the reason for his we, cancellation? We can't bring you the wonderful production tour that we've envisioned in our heads and we have to go back to the drawing board or something. What's and he doing? Like, what kind of, like, the push tease the wall. I mean, like, like what, what kind of <laughs> insane high concept <laughs> majesty are we going to get? It's like, and meanwhile, so he's he's basically shifted the European tour mm-hmm. um, and added a bun- uh, added some dates and changed some dates. And in the melee... Ireland is just gone. <laughs> and the Ticketmaster email has gone out offering the refund because there's no rescheduled date. The man isn't coming. He hates me. Specifically. Exclu- yeah, exclusive view. It's too want- good to be true. I knew it. It was the same as Christmas. It was just like, because again, I was supposed to go with Richard, like Richard Chambers, and he was like, he messaged me there on Monday being like, one week today, buddy. And I'm like, yeah. And I, and I was weirdly unhyped because I just mm-hmm. didn't. Because you knew. <laughs> yeah, was, yeah, did you know, Dave? I got a text. I got, I got a text about I got no, no. <laughs> I got a text about not coming, babe. Can't, can't by, make it, babe. I got a text yeah. about ten or fifteen minutes before Pusha T announced. So you know, an insider did in fact give me a heads up, mm-hmm. and it just said Pusha T has cancelled, <laughs> and I literally just I just burst out laughing. I was just like, of course. What did do you want to quote the the voice note that you sent me about the Dublin date? What did I say again? You said Dublin absolutely yeeted from the schedule. <laughs> yeeted into oblivion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, listen, I just, I feel terrible because I desperately wanted to see him. <laughs> and now it's just become this horrible fool me once, you know. You could be at the same point as me with Frank Ocean because I am like comically a huge Frank Ocean fan. And But whenever he announced Coachella, I was like, this gig isn't happening. I was, literally was like, this is not going to happen. <laughs> I know that this isn't going to happen. Well, it kind of did. In in a sense, it did, but I was like, but then whenever it wasn't being streamed, so like I like kept saying to my friends, it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen. Then it got to the weekend, and then it got to the Saturday night, and I was like, well, time to set my alarm and you know get ready to wake up at five a.m. to watch Frank Ocean perform for the first time in a long time. And then I had woken up to texts from friends in Canada to be like, I think that he's actually cancelled the live stream, and I checked you know the news immediately, and it was like. Frank Ocean, Coachella's stream has been, you know, called off, whatever. And I was like, yep, that makes sense. That reads. And then 
saw the reviews in the morning of what had happened and then whenever I think you had texted me the message to be like Frank Ocean cancelled and I was like I'm not even surprised at all so I feel like you're the same with me at Pusha T where it's like I desperately it doesn't want hurt to... anymore yeah no, I'm just like... disappointed yeah exactly <laughs> I'm not mad yeah, yeah exactly. I'm, just, I'm just like I'm like a and I can't parent. I can't get mad at him He's I, I can't stay mad at Pusha T. <laughs> he did Daytona. He he's can't, you can't he's the most beautiful man I've ever seen. And also, he wrote the story of Adidon. <laughs> the That's greatest a pass for life. Of yeah, all yeah. time. Keep toying with my emotions, Push. <laughs> it's not a problem. <laughs> I don't care. Anyway, something that did happen, though, this week was the semi-final of the Eurovision Song Contest, night one, in which Ireland's shame was brought to the fore <laughs> as a plucky quartet of yeah, young balladeers, wild youth, crashed out at the semi-final stage and has provoked a nation's fury based on some of the things I've seen. Let's have a listen to some audio. We're going to take... Um, we'll take the UK side first here. So here's Chris Evans's breakfast show discussing what went down on uh, the night after... All of our Eurovision dreams were ruined for yet another year. People were like trying to get all their fans to vote to vote Ireland through and it didn't happen. Not. Good morning, Rachel. Good morning, Christopher. So we have to get to the bottom of how come Ireland have been knocked out again in the semi-finals. It happens a lot. The last time Ireland qualified was 2018 for the finals of Eurovision, which I find quite astounding. to qualify in eight out of their last ten attempts. Well... You know, I can hear you have your conciliatory voice, your conciliatory tone Devastated. on there, your sympathetic tone yeah. to the island We've all, of Ireland. We're all dressed in green. None of us realised. We well, you've got it written on your top. You've got green writing. Clearly. And Felix is wearing a green shirt. Amir yeah. is wearing a green jumper. Everybody's wearing, I'm wearing a green checky shirt. Well, sometimes we don't know that we know. And clearly we, we, we all knew. woke up this morning Deep in knowing. in our souls, we knew. How did this not make the final? It was a televote. So people were voting. Well, and people like, weren't voting. Niall Horan and people were like trying to get all their fans to vote to vote Ireland through and it didn't happen. Well, if Niall Horan can't make it happen, probably nobody can. Well, I can, only, I can only apologise. It's not my fault, but I'm happy to apologise. Yes, I think it's, that might help. It's awful, awful. Niall Horan mentioned there, of course. So that's the big fan. That's the UK reaction. We'll hear some of the Irish reaction now. This is from Ireland AM, Mm -hmm. and this is Alan Hughes assessing the situation. Yeah, I think we have to go to a national song contest, get rid of that late, late show special, and do it properly the way the rest of Europe do. Okay, so we, that's we have to start from the basic. We have to make it incur. What's the difference with it being on the late late? It looks being terrible and it sounds terrible on the late late because that's the image that Europe sees first. Look at. I'm just sort of saying I didn't think they turned up last night. I think he played, they did great, but they played to the audience in the bank arena and they didn't play to the people who were at home. And I think that's where... Do you the, think the Wild Youth contest. were the right I think no, I thought I, Ireland? Wild Youth with a different song could have done really well. I thought that anthemic We Are One type of thing just doesn't wash anymore. So, I, just, I just think... Because Wild Youth have had great songs over the years. Yeah, they, they have. And so I think they should have just gone down and stuck with their own way of doing stuff and I think we would have had a better result. So that's uh, that's the takeaway there. Um, I don't know if I agree with that last part. I think you need to tailor your music to the Eurovision. Yeah. I think it needs to be big and anthemic. And I thought the song was fine. Like, I mean, I didn't, whatever. I'm not a Eurovision guy, mm-hmm. you know, not really my thing, but... It- it was the, I think BBC did a review of it, like they, which is a bit weird that the the broadcaster of the, it's like if RTE started ripping into all of the song, like if Ireland were to ever host Eurovision again, which by the looks of things, they never will. But BBC did a review of the Wild Youth song and they were like, this is going to sound great in a bank ad in like <laughs> two or three years time. So yeah, no, I think Eurovision especially is like, when you think of like the big hits, I mean, the the favourite of this year was Sweden because they've brought back 
uh, Lorene, I think her name is the girl yes, that the Lorraine, girl that yeah. did uh, Euphoria, which is this you know massive dance banger, like absolutely. But I mean, Sweden and Eurovision is like you know bread and butter, like they just know what they're doing, like it's just it's perfect mix. They're one off us now. Yeah, yeah. If Sweden win this year, they tie with us, which of course is a very very sad day. The uh, this is front page news. On the way over here, I stopped at the shop to get my bottle of water mm-hmm. and Adam's customary tribute pack of crisps <laughs> that I get him milled into every absolutely. single <laughs> like a feral dog. <laughs> the front page, the front page of the Irish Daily Mirror today is Eurovision Slam Contest, which I think we can all agree doesn't work as a headline. No. And it refers to a now-deleted Instagram post by Connor O'Donoghue of Wild Youth, mm-hmm. who said, uh, the truth is they never give Ireland a chance. Now, I don't know about you, but like my fear can be bad enough after a night out. The idea that a an Instagram post I made in the heat of the moment that I later deleted would make front page news two days later. <laughs> I wouldn't leave the house for about six months. Uh, the Wild Youth Boys, um, I should note for disclosure, I've interviewed them before. I found them to be perfectly affable and I would be friends with Ed Porter who's in the band. I think he's a lovely, lovely fella. Um, I don't have much of an axe to grind with them. I've seen people kind of going after them and what I would say as well, I mean, I don't think that they were as strong as some of the other acts I've seen, or, or as Eurovision is perhaps, but they, gave, they did give it a fucking go. But, but the, only, the only kind of major issue I would have with the Wild Youth thing is that uh, them getting knocked out unfortunately enabled a fucking horrible string of transphobic mm-hmm. pricks on the internet to be transphobic pricks on the internet because, of course, Wild Youth recently fired their uh, creative director. Choreographer, I think. Yeah, it was creative director and choreographer, like something like that. Um who had liked a lot of kind of anti-trans sentiment online and basically, um, or at least that's what I saw as that. So, um, you know, but there was definitely like weird, a weird fall that occurred after this. Wild Youth put out a statement being like, we obviously support trans people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then fucking JK Rowling, among other fucking horrible cretins out there, uh, essentially just mobilized people to go after them. And like, you're seeing more and more of this kind of stuff where like, this isn't that it's the same thing necessarily, but there was, I, I did see like a thing recently about like some Irish band who were thrown off a bill because, you know, this lead singer made statements, you know, anti-woke statements, or whatever. Mm. And, you know, they're standing here for what they believe in, being pricks, basically. But you just see all these people on Twitter who were like, it's about bloody time somebody would have the balls, you know, like, let's get these guys to number one. Like, like this is horrible kind of... So, so the Wild Youth thing, unfortunately, was kind of couched in that. There was, like, an awful lot of, like, the comments on YouTube, the comments on Twitter, elsewhere, people really yucking it up and just, you know, like... I just, like, it's such a fucking, whatever about Wild Youth's music, you know, whatever about the Eurovision, I just, it's it's a nasty, nasty thing to see, like, this army of fucking transphobic scum have their have their moment. It's so strange. They're like, karma. It's like, no, this is, you're you're horrible. That that was the one where it was like, yeah, they, they got knocked out because they were woke. And it was the like, woke agenda gets them. The yeah, woke agenda yeah. once again. It was like that. Uh, uh, a TD, I think, or a concert tweeted this week. There's like the whole oh, yeah. a problem with like GAA go and like matches not being streamed or shown on TV or whatever. And this concert one, like, is this some sort of woke agenda trying to keep <laughs> hurling off the TV? <laughs> like the GAA famously woke organization. It's almost which, as if that word has just lost all meaning. It, it completely yeah. has. It absolutely has. It just means thing thing that threatens oh, I the disagree with that, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah thing that, that threatens the belief that I have that is about you know an uneducated uh, take on uh, you know a certain topic or whatever but yeah so like I didn't really think of the options that we had like the Euro song options that were on like the late late however many weeks ago 
I didn't particularly think that many of them were going to do very well. You know, there was the whole thing with uh, John Lydon from Sex Pistols, like his song, which obviously the story behind it was quite sweet where he was talking about, you know, his wife and her, you know, battles of the dimension and all this kind of stuff. But the song itself, like, wasn't particularly... It was quite low-key. Yeah. Yeah. Which I feel like if that went to you, it would have been ravaged at Eurovision. So. The Eurovision's a weird one because, I mean, like, it's, you know... It's still watched by a ton of fucking people. Yeah, I think in the finals, like 160 million people or something. Mm-hmm. I see that figure doing the rounds on Twitter this week. Um, so like, and people inevitably would be like, "No one fucking cares," and it's like, "Well, people do." Yeah. Like, I mean, people do like the show, mm-hmm. and also again, the Eurovision dismissal thing as well. The people kind of do. There's a bit of, I think there's a bit of homophobia in that as well. Not to say that like every gay person loves the Eurovision because I think my brother fucking hates it. But mm-hmm. I mean, like, it is very much an LGBT. Plus, uh, celebration, friend, friendly, inclusive environment, yeah. friendly event, and like you know, it's kind of like it's it's in that kind of culture, and so to kind of come along and be sniffy better for the sake of it, you know, it's just very like you know, it's like who fucking cares, you know, like 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 it doesn't matter, like if the quality of the songs aren't whatever, like it's it's a it's a weird communal event, and people love it, and that's I think the main issue is exactly what you just said there, and it's the quality of the songs. Like you t- you go back to the Eurovision thing in the Late Late Show. I think Alan Hughes is right to be honest. I think that. As a record producer, I don't think there are enough risks being taken there. Everything feels so homogenized and safe and has done since I can remember mm-hmm. as far back as, you know, Ireland's entries are going for like the last 10 years at least. Yeah. Um, I just think, yeah, there's not enough risks being taken, but also I, I think it's like a combination of that and some people like more active note, I guess, who might can be considered to do better seeing it as a as a career killer yeah um, well that's the thing not to cut you off because I did see like I saw again Ed from Wild Youth he put up a post today that I saw on the way into the studio where he was saying uh, you know we took a risk and I kind of was like well I mean like I think the band took a risk in as much as it's an established band jumping into the Eurovision the song I don't think took a risk not at all um, but I will well. say I mean like which is kind of odd because like Wild Youth are like a pop indie band Mm. this could be their realm if they wanted it to be mm-hmm. and yeah. it just felt like they kind of didn't go far enough you know um, like with regards to what it could have been yeah I don't know it's just there's like it It, it feels like every, like all of those songs just uh, and I know this is going to sound like a slight on the people who wrote it and I really don't mean it too but in my opinion everything just sounds a bit half-arsed and it, like you can't if you're like you're going up if, if people take the Eurovision seriously like you look at the likes of Maneskin who came out of last yeah. year's Eurovision or not sorry two years ago they came out of like superstars everybody loves them now because they had and I thought that song was great that well, night what did you say everybody loves them did no you, but did you read that Pitchfork review no I didn't but it, it, it more so in terms of like just being in being a name that people yeah, know and that's you know what I mean they became, like yeah, that. yeah they yeah. became a thing we were it, talking yeah. about this um earlier on where you know obviously like Ireland has this you know his long history of being like a huge Eurovision nation and all this kind of stuff yeah. but of like songs so we went through all the entrants that Ireland has had in the past you know however many years uh, We've Got the World Tonight by Mickey Joe Hart is 20 years old this year that's right no other and I looked through the list of the songs None of those other songs have been dropped in nightclubs. None of those other songs are still like vaguely in the co- in the public conscious, you know, 
and I'm obviously a bit biased because I'm from Donegal and Mickey Joe Hart was a you know a, a proud Donegal Your man. Son, yeah. My, yeah, exactly. He's a son of our own, whatever. But like you know, when you go to like a nightclub or whatever, and they're doing like the the cheesy throwback era, or whatever, it's always Mickey Joe Hart. It's never Lipstick by Jedward. It's never you know any of these other the, the Eurostar winners that used to be sent over to Eurovision. So like the last time that there's been like a song that's like a cultural touchstone here, never mind anywhere else, is a song from 20 years ago. I just found a while that Ireland won the Eurovision in the 90s with like the the slow emotive ballad Rock and Roll Kids. Kids. Great song. It is a good song. It's incredible. It would never never win Eurovision because Eurovision, because the interesting thing about Eurovision, I mean like, you know, like it's not just people kind of watching on like, you know, ironically or whatever, but like there are people who take Eurovision very, very seriously. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of like dipping into the Twitter thing and outside of the horrible fucking transphobes, you did have people who were like, Proper Eurovision people who were like, what? Like while you thought they're going to win, that wasn't good enough. Like, like they were like proper great, like being like they're, they're like this isn't good enough. It's not up to standard. And then they were like disgusted by the behavior of the front man because he, you know, put up that post or whatever. And they were like, you, you got like so. The, there are people who like apply a forensic level of critical detail to the yeah. Eurovision. I mean, like mm-hmm. you know, it's it, it's a weird event, and I, like I, I mean weird in the way that like people just have a very kind of weird parasocial relationship. It's a phenomenon, yeah. yeah. In, um, in itself. Very passionate. And people fans. genuinely love it. And like I've, I'd like to think that I've grown, if I ever had it, I'd like to think that I've grown out of my eye-rolling phase towards, I don't, I don't really watch it, I don't really tune into it, it's not my thing, but like I totally respect that it is a thing for an awful lot of people. Last thing on this, because again, this has been like, it's been fucking like national radio, front page news. People are like weirdly invested this time about Ireland's collapse. And it's just like, what do we do differently? And I did see uh, former 2FM DJ Stephen Byrne say, send the scratch. This oh. is the thing, right? I've I, heard... At first I was like, nah. And then I was like, actually, I've heard... I think he's right. I, I think that would completely work. I've heard a couple of people say this. And this is what I mean about people of note not going because they think it. It's a career killer. And for anyone who yeah. doesn't know who the Scratch are, they're like a traditional Irish kind of slash metal, metal band. Yeah, all from like metal backgrounds and like they hardcore be, backgrounds and the stuff. Lad, they, they all used to be in Red Enemy mm-hmm. um, and it's like, yeah, they have this kind of very like Irish kind of style and it's selling out the Olympia. It's a huge... Thing, like, they're in the US, they're in Canada. I've seen them twice and they're like... It's they're tremendously fun. Is my top played song of the year. Yeah, it's yeah, tremendously fun. Songwriters, yeah. Tremendously yeah. fun, incredibly skillful, very, very communal and also like... I think the Scratch's whole thing is that like they just don't like not that they don't give a fuck with the music, but they have the vibe of people who who just like we're, we're here it's to play very tongue in cheek. Yeah, and we're very... here to play, and you're here to have a good time. Like I wouldn't like if if the Scratch announced tomorrow they're doing the Eurovision. I don't think they will. But if they did, I wouldn't be like what what a betrayal. I'd be like all right, yeah, fine, fuck it, let's go, go for it. it. Like I mean, like yeah. if anything, like would it be worse than anything we put forward in the last X amount of years? This is exactly it. I don't think it would, and I think what they would have It'd to be different. Yeah, hundred like, percent. They'd have to offer something completely new that. No one would be expecting from Lordy. a Eurovision background. Think of yeah. fucking Lordy doing Prime Eurovision in 2006, yeah. whatever it was. And it was like, everyone was like, lost. Then, then they won it. I, <laughs> vote, I voted for them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, I remember. It's the only act I've ever voted for in Eurovision. Lordy. Yes. <laughs> Your little metal head heart. My little metal like head heart. I was like, mom, give me the phone. I was 10. <laughs> or like, whatever age I was. I can't even remember. I was like, this is the truth. <laughs> you know, real music. Yeah, right 100%. Now. I was like, these... Uh, Power Ranger demons are like, yeah. speaking to me. Style, yeah. Who knew? Who knew the Eurovision has its juice in just the semi-final? But yeah, it's been wild, haha, just to see the kind of fallout <laughs> in in Ireland over this. Uh, last word uh, on to it on you, Hugh. After Adam, who has his hand Sorry, up. Sorry, <laughs> I do have one more. I do have one more thing I'd like to say because I saw someone. Um, I think it was kind of off the back of like cutting those clips. Someone was saying about like the fact, oh, it's you know you have to incentivize it. It's underfunded. It's this. It's that and the other. 
like first of all there's no music industry here you're not going to get funding for the Eurosong mm-hmm. like it's just not going to happen without a music industry backing yeah. look at Sweden Sweden have an enormous songwriting history you know it's not it's a, a fucking huge deal for them over there it's as big as anything in, in Sweden like you're not going to get that scale here so I think we're kind of I won't say we're at a disadvantage in, but maybe in that regard it's not going to ever match up I don't think especially like we're because we're not going to get the funding for it and the funding is never going to be there we're relying on the people that we have the songwriters the really talented songwriters the the incredible musical acts that we have um, to try and push us forward without that there and I think that it's just going to have to we're just going to have to push a bit more boundaries I think mm-hmm. I will give you the full review when I'm back uh, <laughs> tomorrow because I fly out to Eurovision uh, I think I'll be over by the time that this episode comes out so yeah I'll be at in Liverpool in Liverpool so you're still going even though I got knocked out how was that office conversation it was very much like uh we were like, let's just not discuss uh, this and we will uh, we will carry on with the trip. Uh, now, there's loads of other stuff going on in Eurovision and in Liverpool that is kind of, you know, congruent to what I'm doing or congruent to what I'm doing. Uh, so I'll still be over there and it'll be surreal though being there and I can't wait to go over and kind of harass other countries there and be like, why didn't you vote for us? Huh? Why, why are we, you know, at, uh, <laughs> we're trying to figure out how many um, times Ireland has voted for the UK and vice versa. So... It'll be uh, it'll be interesting to kind of I don't know get that kind of response from people. But then there's like events with like Conchita Worst. There's like all these random like after parties, pre parties, parties. There's just <laughs> <laughs> the Eurovision itself, which is a party. Yeah. And uh, our famous quote from this from this podcast is, "We all partied." Well, <laughs> we all partied. And 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 Hugh certainly sounds like you're going to party. I'm absolutely going. Did to Did you party at the IFTAs last week when you went to the IFTAs? Did I, you harass Dahi on the red carpet? I actually didn't. I missed him, and it was only afterwards when I saw the picture of him in his in his dapper little suit that he I looked was, like so fantastic. Great, yeah. he looked yeah, fantastic. Yeah. The whole uh, Legland crew looked great. Yeah, they did. So yeah. we we chatted to uh, Danielle Galligan, who's in the film. Yeah, uh, and she was so lovely. She was the, like comically lovely, like uh, so great. She snuck a bottle of Moe into the saw that. Into yeah. The, Absolutely hilarious. Like, just, yeah, they're, the crew was nice. But yeah, I didn't get to see, I didn't spot Dai devastated because I would have given him a big dirty hug and a, jeez, look at yourself, kind of, you know, that typical, like, jeez, it's far from the ifters you were raised. I, kind of. see, oh God, I feel like if you two, like, went into the kind of faux nice Irish thing in that way, not that you're not nice, but like that kind of, <laughs> that kind of like, you know, like that thing that you do where it's like, oh, hello, or whatever. Like, you know, I have done that before. There would have been some weird kind of vortex where you just kind of like folded into each other. My, my, my worst offense of doing that before was, uh, Gabriel Pascal Blake of the Murder Capital is a Donegal man and know him from, you know, he plays with my cousins and he uh, was, you know, we used to go to festivals and stuff together. Um, And I met him in the airport in 2020 when they were announced to play Coachella. And then obviously it was cancelled because of COVID. But uh, it was very much uh, like... You know, ah, uh, oh, Jesus, hello, how are you getting on? Like, old full Donegal, like, with someone who has, you know, just been announced to play at the biggest festival in the world. And they were, like, you know, dressed and de- decked in black and full, you know, full, very cool band. Very cool, yeah. And I'm there in my Donegal jersey and my, like, old tracksuit bottoms, being like, Jesus, far from Coachella, you were raised by. And all this, like, <laughs> it was fantastic. See, that's what I'm referring to, like, yeah. that kind of weird self deprecation put on thing. Yeah. You know, the affectation thereof. Yes. I'm not, like, saying that you and Dahi aren't naturally charismatic, beautiful people. I'm just saying that they're. You know, it's well, we're a, definitely beautiful. I'll say that much. That's yeah, two handsome men. Um, so yeah, also con- congruent to Hugh's life is the uh, fabled sport of professional wrestling, which we will now talk about as our last news item because I feel like this news section has 
been long enough that we don't need to have some pasted in filler stories. Some forty, <laughs> some forty one broke up. Everybody, you know, like we're all very. Which sad I am actually that. sad about because yeah, I, I was, I was, I was, I was actually planning on going to see them in London. Whenever they're doing their dates, they're like, they're finishing their like whenever. But they I think they were they were they played in November. Oh, because you I missed think. Okay, right, yeah. And uh, my friend, me and my friend who I went to see LCD Sound System with in the Academy in Brixton, which is still closed, I think, I believe, after... After the crush. There's yeah. talk of it being closed permanently, they're trying to save it, people are basically like, yeah, so... Yeah, but uh, we were talking about what gigs were coming up, and Sum 41 was one of them, and I was like, oh, hell yeah, I love Fat Lip. And that one song from and 2000. In, and In Too Deep, thank you very much, and I think there's some other tracks from their they second album. They got a song album. called Pieces, which is actually very good, it's from mm-hmm. 2004. I, I, 2005, I don't want to talk about this, because I'm literally <laughs> speeding by this, I'm speeding by Phoebe Bridgers, uh, walking on stage to Disturbed and Disturbed frontman David Draymond saying come out to a show anytime Phoebes but we will wrap up the news section by talking about professional wrestling and of course Disturbed provided the best Stone Cold Steve Austin theme that we know <laughs> that he used for like fucking two months or something mm-hmm. Bad Bunny the world's most streamed artist by the way yeah the biggest name in music mm-hmm. Uh, he was the biggest name in the professional wrestling ring last weekend in San Juan, Puerto Rico for a WWE backlash and that's ended a bit like this Incredible stuff there, yes. That was uh, the WWE pay-per-view that took place last... The premium live event, as they call it now. Excuse me, thank you. Yeah. Uh, which I... Did you stay up for it? I actually didn't because I... There was something else happening that night. I think I was in... On some random night. I think it was on a, a, on a birthday party or something like that. And I was like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll go back and I'll watch it. And then completely forgot about it because it was like three or four o'clock in the morning when I got home. Yeah. And then went to sleep and woke up to hearing the loudest pop in my entire life. It's absolutely <laughs> insane. But that actually wasn't the loudest cheer that night, which is the crazy thing. It was Savio Vega, and who was a classic, Carlito and well. Carlito appearing, yeah. uh, two uh, legends in the WWE appearing. One guy who just appeared on camera at first and they went crazy and then yeah. he made a little appearance in the ring. So yeah, WWE went to Puerto Rico for the first time in like, I think it was 18 years yeah. for a show and the crowd are fucking electric. Bad Bunny's the hometown hero. Uh, should have been the main event. He had a San Juan street fight against Damien Priest. Also from Puerto Rico. Uh, who's playing the bad guy, but he clearly was also having a big deal as well. It was mm-hmm. The crowd were unbelievable. Like, if wrestling crowds were like this all the time, there'd be no war. Ever. No. <laughs> it'd, be so, it'd be so happy. Everyone would go. Because I've always tried to, to sell people on 
how much of a like theatrical event yeah. like wrestling is and like I have like loads of friends that are really into like musical theatre and really into like drama and all this kind of stuff and I'm always like no you have to check out a wrestling show because it's just so insane and something like that where it's you know the hometown hero coming back but also and- in this case and this is why we're talking about this obviously in the music podcast the hometown hero is the most streamed artist in the world yeah. who's actually wrestling and I know mm-hmm. yes of course listen the match would have been well rehearsed and all the moves would be well choreographed in advance and such and such but he still has to go in there in front of thousands of people in his hometown and yes he's got a professional wrestler opposite him who will make sure that he's protected and make sure the moves all go out like at one stage bad boy nearly fucking knocked himself out by doing like a a slice bread number two very good hell of a move but he took (laughs) he took like this insane bump outside like uh like a falcon arrow through like a table or something and again it was actually a michinoku driver dave it looked more like a falcon arrow to me but i mean like (laughs) what i will say though is I was watching this and I'm like, imagine Taylor Swift doing this. Yeah. It's impossible. It's insane to think. Like, like <laughs> if anyone would do it, I reckon she'd do it. I don't think so. I just don't <laughs> think so. I'm calling it out. I mean, like, Taylor Swift versus Sasha Banks in the, uh, or Mercedes Monet in the, the Tokyo Dome at Wrestle Kingdom 16. It's happening. <laughs> well, you have to, just, like, like, I mean, like, if you're Bad Bunny's like, insurance man, you're losing your mind. You're absolutely like, what are you doing? Because you can. Like, like, yes, it's wrestling. Yes, it's whatever. But, like, you can get fucked up. Very and he's not a trained thing. wrestler. But he has. He's popped up here and there. He was in the Royal Rumble a couple of years ago, WrestleMania and tag match. And again, you know, like the Logan Paul thing, it's like, I've seen people being like, you know, he's clearly better than anyone. They've been training for 10 years. It's like, well, you know, if you put him into an indie match, you wouldn't know what to do, et cetera, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But, like, for a musician who isn't a full-time athlete... He's incredibly good at this. Yeah, and what a, a and such an easy win as well for WWE and for the sport as a whole. Where it's like you have the most streamed artist in the world who is so passionate about what you do specifically that he will put his own body at risk to. My friend Josh, a uh, friend of the show, Josh Hughes, did say this week. He was like, "WWE are so lucky that they have people now who grew up loving this, yeah, who happen to be massive stars and mm-hmm. want to do it." Because Logan mm-hmm. Paul is one of them. And again, whatever you think about him as a person freakishly good in the ring yeah it's, it's really annoying it's and really really annoying Bad Bunny's the same you're just like how are they so good at this and again like you know fine it's all smoke and mirrors but like yeah it's wild Bad Bunny's just like yeah I'll just headline Coachella and then do a WWE event a week later or whatever. drop in on the way home like, yeah, it's so yeah. fucking weird <laughs> As you like, do. and again like the crowd it was just like it made the show like, I stayed up to watch most of it until I got too tired and fell asleep but I was like that match which was like three from the top or something mm-hmm. really should have been the main event but yeah it's just it's wild and he popped up Bad Bunny popped up in like that film Bullet Train yeah. last year he's everywhere he's absolutely everywhere and he's fine in it like All, you know also the fact that you said Smoke and Mirrors there and immediately the Cody Rhodes Whoa! so immediately came into my head <laughs> uh, no it's, it's incredible like to see like, like you, you can't but you can even remember like what I remember when I was grown up and when I got to my like teen years whatever and like I was like watching wrestling religiously it was the Raw Super Show and it was like Bob Barker's the guest host this week and the Muppets are the guest host this week <laughs> and it was clearly like just like, Pee Wee Herman is the guest this week you know it was all these really bad uh, guest hosts that they would get and who clearly couldn't care less about what was going on and there's always been that degree of like celebrity involvement in wrestling you know like Cindy Lauper and Mike Tyson and uh, huge names like back in the day that were really involved with like the start of Wrestlemania and stuff but then there was a period where it was just awful and it was so forced but now it actually feels 
organic. Yeah, remember remember nice. Jeremy Piven calling SummerSlam Summerfest? Yes. Do you remember Randy Orton hitting the RKO on Wayne Brady? <laughs> 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 just incredible. Like, and he just goes for a little handshake and is immediately like taken out with a cutter. Like, it's just, you know, it, it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. But uh, no, it's really nice to see. And yeah, and wrestling crowds outside of the US are amazing. I've got my, my tickets for uh, Money in the Bank in oh, you're going, yeah. July. Yeah. And I also have my tickets for All In in Wembley Stadium. AEW. So uh, yeah, those crowds will be absolutely insane. And I'm really looking forward to it. It's just really nice to know that big wrestling events can happen outside of like four states in America. It's beautiful. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah, well, we're going to focus on some states of America, Mm -hmm. some specific states in America for this week's top five, because it is, hey, that's absolutely, that's one of your best. Yeah. Listen, they don't call me the Link King for nothing, (laughs) okay? Who is they? (laughs) It's David Merrick. Are they in the room with us right now? How do you see these Link Kings? (laughs) (laughs) Don't call me Link King. It's Link King Dave. Um, So here's the thing, right? Um... It's time to talk about Midwest Emo. It's time for our top five. Uh, and if you're loving the show, by the way, tell a friend. Tell a friend all about it. Hit up patreon.com slash noancore. Throw us the price of a pint. Mm-hmm. Whatever you feel. Or the price of, um, you know, an emo album these days. I wonder what that goes for. So Midwest Emo, Hugh Carr, this is your top five selection. You've been wanting to... There was no... There was nothing else. It was this. I refused to come on unless I could rant about... Specifically, Midwest emo. That so, can you give us a primer for what Midwest emo is and what it isn't, and why you wanted to do this, and how you went about it, and so on and so forth? Before we get to your first pick, yeah, it was really difficult. It was like I was saying before; it was like picking my favorite child. Like it was just so tough to kind of like narrow down this like like surprisingly wide genre. And because when you think of like I'm talking about uh, emo music that came from specifically these states. Uh, which like originated mostly like late 80s, early 90s until like the modern day or whatever. Like, but there's still like a huge amount of bands and there's huge, so much stuff in there. So the American Midwest, which is made up of select states, do you know them? I do not. I think it's, <laughs> it's Chicago, it's Illinois definitely and Missouri, I believe as well. And, but this is the thing with Midwest emo is that because it became such an influential, influential genre, that you start getting like Midwest emo bands from like across the US. Yeah, which I think Adam and I have kind of been a little bit loose with that one because I was like, well, we have to have this band. 
and I don't care if they're from Long Island. <laughs> Adam, you've got a couple of definitions which you helped me out with during the week. Um, yes. If you want to pop a couple I'm out. My this. research is coming to fruition now. Oh my God, there's three page um, documents. Yeah, so like it, it, it's a genre that originated in the 1990s in the American Midwest, particularly Chicago and lots of local scenes. Um like despite the name it's not exclusive to the region because there was a lot of bands at the time that were kind of coming up that would have been grouped into the same grouped into the kind of same bracket there was like people coming from Seattle or people coming from Washington Philadelphia stuff like that and like Q said it it did then spread Mm -hmm. like wildfire after that really like it kind of spanned the whole United States Midwest emo just becoming the genre name as opposed to like a geographic Mm -hmm. tie-in I suppose the the definitions in terms of the sonic aspects of it um, is it's all kind of derivative of hardcore punk and a, a cross between that and indie rock at the time um, with kind of some combined math rock elements. Generally, it was like down-tuned guitars, arpeggiated riffs and like very distinct vocal stylings as I think we all know and will hear in the in both of these lists. Um <laughs> So yeah, cycling riffs, cycling riffs, all that kind of, all that kind of good stuff. All the notable bands. I mean, like you probably know them at this point. Um, but yeah, aside from that, it, there was like, you know, they, it, it's a genre that that's influenced spanned across several decades, particularly with the, um, you know, the emo revival in the late two thousands, early twenty tens. You're seeing again, it was like the, the kind of original, quote unquote, emo and Midwest emo. Um, bands had kind of maybe all broken up at that point or had gone off to do like this other new thing and branched off into different different uh, different directions but then it, there was a lot of new bands that were coming at the time again in those states the likes of Chicago the likes of Philadelphia that were um, rebuilding the genre and had taken a lot of influence because they'd grown up with stuff like this so they were then kind of coming back and bringing emo back in, which led to, you know, emo and pop punk becoming a lot more popular later on. The likes of My Chemical Romance, you know, Fall Out Boy, the likes of all of these kind of bands wouldn't have gotten anywhere without without Midwest emo. And it all kind of spanned. You have emo rap then that kind of came in with Lil Peep, Young Lean, all that kind of stuff. But it all centred in the American Midwest. And loads of that emo rap would like sample old Midwest emo songs in the background. Um, and also I think it was, was it Pete Wentz from Fall Out Boy? And I, I don't want to say the name of the band that he uses as an example, uh, just in case you have selected them in your top five. But he was like, if anyone wants to start like uh, an emo band or, or a punk band, they need to listen to X band, whatever. I might, I'll say it was the Get Up Kids. I don't know if you have them on your on your list or not. We um, don't. We do okay. not. So he said this was a fucking not a nightmare to put together, but there was a lot of like lots of last minute changes. Attrition. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it Shall is difficult say. though. It, it like, is difficult. It was so difficult because there's so many great bands and there's so many like you know sub. Like, exactly. It's, it's because could... it branches off and there's mm-hmm. so many tributaries that it, it's hard to. It was hard to nail down. But I think what we, myself and Dave kind of went for is like ones that are rooted in the original sound. Yeah. 
and some who have maybe been inspired by it, you know. And are yeah, kind of exactly. Like modern you carried the torch. Yeah. yeah. Also, I will say, love that Adam used the word tributaries there because it's like, yes, rivers of tears <laughs> in, in this emotional emo genre. Uh, emo, it needs a little introduction, but that's some of it. Uh, genres upon genres, subgenres upon subgenres. But of course, it is time to kick this top five off. Hugh is our guest. He will go first. Uh, you've been waiting for this moment for a long time, haven't you, Paul? It's actually, it's like a dream come true. I'm actually, I'm actually, <laughs> sca- I'm actually nervous to say it. It's just, you know, like to be to do my first lead in to a to a track you know it's just like a, a big but no i'm going to do it i'm going to be a big boy i'm going to i'm going to deep breath in deep breath out let's talk midwest emo so my first pick is a an album that is i would say generally regarded as one of the first in that in the whole subgenre and i just love the idea of a, a little kid in the early 90s just having a terrible day in high school or whatever and then just kicking back and throwing on this track. Just, that sounded just incredible off your speakers. I'm just like, oh, I've been um, waiting for that moment. If for there's so one long. common thread in when we get to top five done, it's that the guest seems to always enjoy hearing it on, the, <laughs> on the speakers because they are they are fantastic. That was like a punch. It was like an like an oral punch or something like that. Oral, sorry, not an oral punch. Um, different, completely uh, different <laughs> thing altogether. Anyway, um, who is this? What we listen to? Come on. This is uh, that was the song "In Circles" by Sunny Day Real Estate from the album Diary, and it's generally regarded as kind of like the first. Midwest emo The Patient album. Zero. The Patient Zero, where it all began. Yeah, it recorded in Chicago in uh, 93 and then released in 94. It's just this, like, like it's still very much, as you can hear that, it's still very hardcore, very, like, loud, um, you know, but it's then, the lyrics are very soft. Like, obviously, that was the... The you know the classic quiet loud quiet loud kind of style of the nineties whatever but that was and that was very much the loud but but in between very quiet very soft spoken really emotional lyrics and yeah the band is just like when you think about then what came out of the band afterwards so like the rhythm section alone is uh, Nate Wendell and who's the bassist and then William Goldsmith who were playing a gig and then a little note was left behind for them uh, by uh, Mr Dave Grohl who invited them to join the Foo Fighters yeah. and then famously William Goldsmith. William yeah. Not long the, well, after. the bassist was allowed to stay, but uh, the, the drummer bought the album and found out that his drumming was only on like maybe like two or three of the tracks, I believe, or something. Yes, like they, uh, as a seasoned Foo Fighters veteran over here, yeah. I can tell you that um, it, what happened was Dave re-recorded the drum parts. Mm-hmm. Well, they actually ended up re-recording that album in its entirety, uh, yeah. The Colour and the Shape which was the second record. Famously, Dave Grohl had like played all the instruments on the first one. Mm-hmm. It was a bit of a demo tape that he put together himself. But the second record, they had an original they had an original recording, which then all the band thought was going to come out. And then Pat was called back down from California mm-hmm. to come and re-record his parts in Seattle. And then Nate was called down. And some kind of suspicion came up and they were like, does William know about this? And Dave was like, no, I'm just going to, I'm just going to re-record the drums. It's fine. I'm just going to do it. Wild. And then that was, yeah, that was the breaking point for poor little William Goldsmith. But Sunny Day Real Estate, great band. They are a great band in fairness to them. And yeah, they've, as 
every other Midwest emo band, I feel, or a majority of Midwest emo bands have gone. They've broken up and they've reunited and they've broken up and they've reunited and they've broken up and reunited. I think they did a tour there just over December uh, in the US. So they are currently active. But yeah, that first album is just like, I mean, like songs like Seven and like there's so much amazing stuff there. And you can definitely then just hear the influence then running through loads of other albums that came out afterwards. So yeah, definitely worth a listen to if you're interested. Maybe start with like closer to the top of my list and then make your way back. But if you're really interested in the origin of Midwest Emo, then absolutely Diary by Sunday Day Real Estate. Real quick, shout. before we jump into our one, or Adam has picked the first one for us, really, more more his one than mine. Um, when did you first fall for this? So When did you uh, first even hear this album? This album was a college listen. Uh, this was definitely a... I had already kind of dipped my toe into Midwest Emo at this point and didn't really know about it as like a full genre, kind of. It was very much like I enjoyed some bands, but I didn't really cop that they were like Midwest Emo bands. And so then whenever I was like, I'm going to go hardcore into this and I'm going to really start digging into stuff or whatever, I was like, i got to check out like... You do that classic thing whenever you get into a genre and you're like, what's the top albums of this genre? and this diary was on it and I was like, okay, well now I, I, it's like required reading. It's like if you're like studying English and you haven't read like, I don't know, Shakespeare or whatever, which most of Shakespeare I haven't read and I do have a degree in English, but I <laughs> try, I was like, I'm going to be good at this one. I'm going to try and be educated about this one as opposed to what I actually spent money to go to college for. But yeah, so this was a college listen. I think I was like 21 or 22 when I heard this album at first. It was definitely like a study playlist in the background and I was like, oh my God, like this is insane absolutely insane right well uh we'll speed past uh hugh's incredible humble brag there <laughs> and adam will open up our top five so uh hugh mentioned that diary was one of the kind of archetypical albums of midwest emo our first pick is uh one of the albums that was up there in conversation and one of the artists who was up there in conversation at the same time Sorry, can I just uh, say, by the way, if uh, if you tuned into No Encore this week to hear lots of screaming men, <laughs> <laughs> you're in luck. Yeah. You're really in the right place. Yeah, <laughs> full of a chair, Adam. Um, okay, so I did not expect the reaction that Hugh was going to give there, but that was phenomenal. He was rolling around. I was. I'm so happy you picked them. In, times, so in time with happy. the drums there as well, Hugh yeah. just turned yeah. into a fucking whirling dervish in front of us. <laughs> <laughs> so that was Captain Jazz with Little League, um, and that was the opening track from their anthology, which is the only... Um, the only kind of work available to stream at the mm. moment. Um, that anthology is essentially like, it's all of their recorded works um, and it is called An Alphabet of Polythology. Yeah. I was, that took me about five goals to that. I said it out loud when I was like noting all of my notes for uh, for this. I was going to say it and then I was like, I actually can't remember exactly what it's called. So I'm going to let Adam... <laughs> Honestly, open to this. interpretation. I would say that it's probably, you know, op- open to interpretation. Um, so 
Captain Giles were founded in Chicago in 1989 by uh, Tim Kinsella and Victor Villarreal um, while they were skating. They were skate buddies and they were in high school together. So, or they were in high school in like close proximity, something like that. Um, recorded many singles for indie label compilations during the 1990s, as was the kind of, um, as was the done thing for a lot of kind of local bands, especially bands in that that circuit the hardcore circuit the emo circuit um, sounds really frenetic and it consists of a lot consists of a lot of inconsistency is what I wrote down I think that mm-hmm. is probably one of the key um, is one of the key I suppose traits of of Captain Jazz it's like everything is like super fast and then super slow and then super fast and then super slow and sometimes the instruments can kind of feel like they're they're clashing a lot but it they're like they're interlocked in a in a weird way it's so it was such an interesting listen, like to kind of come back to it. Like the lyrics mean nothing. Yeah, it, they were written by a guy who was like tripping on acid yeah. uh, at the at the time. So it was it was like to- totally, mm. totally strange stuff. There's one of their songs. Uh, I was listening to on the record. I can't remember which one it was because they all kind of blend really, really well into each other. But he just like screams the alphabet at the end of one of them. Yes. Um, so the, for the they recorded the first naughty full length album, um, released in nineteen ninety five, and it has the longest title I've ever known of an of an album. The nineteen seventy five are found like found dead, <laughs> found dead in Miami. Yeah, they could it, never. like it, it's called Burritos Inspiration Point, yes. Fork Balloon Sports, Card in the Spokes, Automatic Biographies, Kites, Kung Fu Trophies, Banana Peels We've Slipped On, and Eggshells We've Tippy Toed Over. That is the name of their first record, and uh, to no surprise, they split up during the first tour <laughs> of that of that record. Um, I would assume it's probably because they all couldn't say it all together. But mm-hmm. um, it was also like fan named as Schmapp and Schmaz, yes, because they didn't want to say the entire they album did. title the whole mm-hmm. time. Um, so there's a quote I found when I was doing a bit of a bit of digging on this one. It's the album helped to le- legitimise the genre, transforming emo from a little-known punk sub-genre into something all its own, melding the passion, emotion and ethics of punk with the instrumental refinement of the early 90s indie rock scene. And that was uh, from Kenny uh, Ristich from the Die Angry blog. He wrote that in February 2014 in an article entitled The Emo Velvet Underground. Um and I think he kind of came to that conclusion because the album itself had like a massive, massive cool following across Huge. Chicago and the USA then uh, thereafter, after the tour. Um, but like I said, mid-album tour, uh, Victor Villarreal suffered a non-lethal overdose, which kind of derailed the rest of the tour dates given his medical condition. And as a result, the band ended up breaking up after that. Um, the anthology was released in 1998 and they reunited for a US tour in 2010s. Nothing really heard from them since um, but the legacy of this band is probably the most interesting part it's insane so absolutely insane yeah guitarist Davey Von Bolen uh, ended up going on to found The Promise Ring which are uh, an amazing band that have were again another band credited with being one of the standing pillars of the emo emo genre an exceptional emo band name by the way The Promise 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 Ring incredible I mean, and also, they're not an emo band. They're a, like, post-rock band, but Maybe She Will is one of the great, oh, yeah, 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 one of the great yeah, emo yeah. names. But that's not who we're talking about. We're talking about, again, this, this act just for everyone. This is Captain Jazz. Captain Jazz. And it's like C-A- it's C-A-P, like, C-A-P apostrophe, apostrophe N. Jazz. Yeah. Yeah, Captain yeah. Jazz. Just in case, because, like, yeah. like, you know, sometimes we mention, like, more, like, not obscure, but, like, an act we've never named before, so. This was a fine for me. Um, to- totally new fine for me, but it was, like, consistently, consistently there. Everything you look about, 
Midwest emo. It's always there. Mm -hmm. And it seems to be like one or two, like credited as like one or two and like the top echelon of, you know, Midwest emo albums and the kind of founding, one of the founding fathers. But also Tim and Mike Kinsella, um, two brothers in the band, founded Joan of Arc and Owls, which were kind of a little bit more... um, a little bit more experimental, yeah. But Mike Kinsella went on to found none other than American football. I'd be very surprised if they don't come up again in this top five. <laughs> so, so strange. <laughs> we'll find out. So that's Captain Jazz, everybody. Uh, Amazing band. It's just like, like, and that, to your point of what the album is like, it really just feel like this kind of like collage of like just teen like angst. It's and pure stuff. angst. And out of nowhere, then, like, there's like a Take On Me cover in there yeah, out of the, nowhere yeah, yeah. and like yeah. Christmas songs, whatever. It just feels like this huge like, it's it it sounds like lads pissing about in a in a studio just having the time of their lives. And as far of. as anthologies go, it is very cohesive. Yeah. It, like I know that obviously a lot of the tracks are off that first record, but it it does feel like they were very true to form in, mm. in what they did. And um it, it's not really a surprise to me as to how they got such a cool following. I do like I do see the merit now having listened, but um yeah, it was a totally new find for me, so an interesting one. Captain Jazz, C A P apostrophe N J A Z Z. I'm glad you found them because they're I, I love them. Uh, and obviously like the influence that they have and like all the bands, whatever, like the promise ring. I was also trying to remember there, I was like, I know that the their album, like the most famous promise ring album, have a really good Midwest emo album name as well, and it's called Nothing Feels Good. <laughs> <laughs> With such hits as Why Did We Ever Meet? And and uh, is this thing on? Uh, is this thing on being a great song, actually? Uh, but yeah, no, I would highly recommend that album as well. Take us to your number four, Hugh. My number four is a track which is a very, very different from the last one. Um, but I think it still captures lots of that kind of vibe of Midwest emo. And it's a, it's become a bit of a meme, honestly. But yeah, no, it's a, it's an interesting one. September 9th, 2001. Gary and I were skating at a hospital on top of a huge hill overlooking a valley. An ambulance came in and took out a dead woman. Gary asked me why she wasn't moving or blinking. They hadn't closed her eyes yet. So I picked only like the very start of it because I feel like it's something that you need to listen to in full. The song is called Sleep Patterns by a band called Merchant Ships, as in like Merchant Ships in the Night. And it is this like devastating you know, it's like poetry, basically, where this really dreamlike kind of uh, song where it kind of takes you through this man's imagination and stuff. And as like, as you can probably guess where when the song starts with the the date, September 9th, 2001, it kind of then starts to, you know, it definitely makes references to some real world, world events that happened not too soon after that. And it's just this like heartbreaking tune. And it's definitely one of those ones that gets thrown around in a lot of those Midwest emo groups where it's like, you need to check this out. Like this is like, I'll never forget the first time I heard, uh, you know, Sleep Patterns by Merchant Ships and uh, that first line where September night being Gary are running down a hill. I would really, really recommend anyone going after it um, and listening. And like a lot of other Midwest emo bands, they broke up almost immediately. I think this song came out in 2010 on a four track EP and they broke up in 2011. And that was all that kind of, I think there was words of a reunion at some point and then, they kind of faded away again, so... Seems kind of par for the course that they keep doing this, isn't it? Yeah. Like, it's almost like when there's loads of very emotional people in rooms <laughs> <laughs> that it actually isn't very good for them to be still <laughs> stuck in the room together. So it's, uh, no, it's a great, great track. I would really recommend. You've uh, you've jogged my memory because I actually completely... I don't know. I, I'm so glad I didn't entirely forget this, but mm-hmm. I, I'm furious that I forgot to do it at the start of the top five mm-hmm. as the ultimate, like, kind of... Um, 
you know, trend or tone tonal setter for this. Yeah. So we're going to play uh, this guy on Instagram. Uh, <gasps> I'll credit him correctly after we hear the clip. And he did this unbelievable work of art. Uh, <laughs> so yes. let's just listen to it. Why were you dancing with those guys? I don't know. I like dancing. I wanted to dance. Who were those guys? Why were you dancing with all those guys? Bobby, they're friends. We were just dancing. What about us? You're supposed to dance with just me. And maybe some of your girlfriends, but mostly just me. Bobby, well, this is getting way too intense. We're only friends. We didn't. I thought we were more than that. Bobby, you're a funny guy. You make me laugh, that's all. But... We kissed. Yes, and I'm looking back now. Maybe that was a mistake. Mistake? That was the single most important thing in my life. Look, Bobby, I don't think we should hang out together anymore. Just tell me why you were dancing with all those guys. Bye, Bobby. You kissed me. That means we're back together again. Marie, come back. Look, I'm doing your favorite comedy bit. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? It's it's so very nearly screamo at the end. It's so very nearly. Yeah, like why is that so devastating? That's a King of the Hill if it was Midwest emo by a guy on Instagram called Two Year Old Bear. Uh, he's an artist based in Alabama, and he's stuff on his page like. 10 Things I Hate About You, but it's a Midwest emo intro. Mm-hmm. Alex Jones having a mental breakdown, but it's a metal intro. <laughs> that kind of, I've seen that one. It's incredible. That kind of stuff. But like, oh my God, that one, the the, the, the King of the Hill. And like, uh, King of the Hill is actually a, a bit of a blind spot for me, but like, this, like that is just so brutally devastating. But I do love that trope, that very Midwest emo trope that's also in some kind of post-rock as well, quite, like, quite often where it's like, throw in the dialogue from a thing yeah there's also one i remember like this isn't emo necessary but like it's more like some kind of hardcore screamo thing there's a band called uh <laughs> from autumn to ashes incredible absolutely fantastic they got band a song name. they got a song called take her to the music store and, <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> and it, it literally moody, like. it, it has dawson's creek dialogue in it and it's it's joey it's like um Katie Holmes and she's like you break my heart into a thousand pieces and then you say it's because I deserve better and then it's like <laughs> and it's just like oh my god this whole I love that earnestness that's what all, that, that's what all this is right it's all like hardcore earnestness basically I mean that's I think that was what it was first I mean if the the origin of the word emo I think is it came from it was like hardcore and then it was emotional hardcore and then it was then emo I do have uh, a very <laughs> a very fun uh, quote from the Midwest Emo Wikipedia oh, about what um, about what kind of summed up the the genre of Midwest Emo, which is quote boy driven, glasses wearing, overly sensitive, overly brainy, chiming guitar driven college music. That was by Andy Greenwald. And we all sit in this room right now. <laughs> We're all wearing glasses too. All wearing glasses. Nice yeah. glasses uh, around the around the table. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Um, shall I throw out our number four? Please do. So this is a contentious one, I think, because like uh, it's a band I've talked about quite a lot. And as a result, I was slightly reluctant to feature them. And I think we'll just say at this juncture that uh, Adam talked me out of Fallout Boy. I, as much as I didn't want to, mm. I had to. I just don't understand this. I thought Fall Out Boy were like the kings of this, even though, and, and also they're from Illinois, right? They are so from Illinois. From, they are yeah, Midwest. Yeah. yeah. 
But, <laughs> but, I think their overarching team is pop punk. Yeah. And in hardcore and grindcore and stuff like that. And it's all like, I sent you a list yesterday of all the different genres listed on their Wikipedia page, <laughs> which was... Oh, it's never ending. It's yeah. nonstop. I yeah. don't know how anyone had the time, genuinely. But I just th- I thought it was just slightly too much of a reach. Mm-hmm. Slightly too much. Instead, uh, we are going for an act I talk about all the time, and they're from Los Angeles, California. As I as I as I listen to the music of Touche Amore, <laughs> that song is immense. It's off their second album, uh, "Parting the Sea Between Brightness and Me," which I picked before actually on this podcast as like best albums under thirty minutes. That mm. album is twenty minutes long. Well, just under twenty one minutes what long. The hell? Um, yeah, I, I find myself being like, "Gosh, it's going to be some people listening to this podcast this week who are like, I hate this music." <laughs> Every clip is opening up with some angsty lad roaring at me <laughs> that wasn't the plan but that's the genre baby well, listen, that's what that's and that's my fault honestly for picking uh the genre and that's showbiz done. baby and that um, is showbiz baby touche more uh, an act i've talked about uh, quite a lot in the last kind of year and a half or so since i stumbled upon lament their most recent record uh a band that mean an awful lot to me and i kind of got in uh at the last album i just saw i got a good review and next thing you know i was like relating to it a lot and i keep relating to the music very very often uh, they're from the, like this thing it's like you know are they emo or are they post-hardcore or is that mm. all the same thing I don't know um, and they're not from the Midwest but clearly massively fucking influenced by absolutely yeah. huge influence yeah and you actually put me on to Touche Amore I think it was you showed me I think it was Reminders I think was yeah, the track yeah and yeah definitely you can hear like when you hear like some of the other like older tracks and like other bands in that genre like you'd be kind of crazy to think like that there isn't some semblance of an influence from those kind of other bands. Yeah, you can like even hear like the Captain Jazz influences in the vocals and stuff like that. And yeah. it, it, I love the depth of the guitars and all, like it's just so invocative uh, and it, like it really does make you make your hair stand on end. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's everything I love about the genre. It's so good. They're great. And again, turn on to them by death. But like, the, like it's, it, it was such a, like I haven't actually, like you mentioned at the start of this, Hugh, like, you know, when you, when you kind of get into a genre, get into a thing and you, you get the excitement of it going back through the back catalogue and stuff. That is admittedly something I've, I've done a lot less as I've gotten older. And I think it's because I'm just like impatient or something. Yeah. Um, and you can maybe latch onto one thing and then not want to ruin it or something. But with this band Touche Amore, I was very excited to learn that they had four other albums and I was like, yeah. I want to get them all. I want to listen to them all. And with each one I listened to, I was like, I love this. I love this one too. This is amazing. And it's just that indescribable feeling sometimes that music can give you where it does lift you up and it does give you power and it does give you strength and you just feel so much emotion to it. And even like today in the fucking gym, I was like, I'm not in the mood for this at all. I hate this. I hate this treadmill. But I was listening to Touche Amore and I was like, I'm going to get through it because this music is actually physically moving me. 
um, and emotionally as well, massively. I mean, I love Jeremy Baum's vocals. Um, I love the depth of what he's writing about and what, and what he sings about. And it brings me back to the emo bands I was listening to 20 years ago when I first started listening to the genre and I get the same level of emotion. And I find it, you know, that's a weird nostalgia thing and there's weird emotions encased in that as well. But I like ultimately what I love the most about emo, Midwest or otherwise, isn't just the, you know, the raw emotion of it all. Well, I guess it is that because I don't find this downbeat. I don't no. find this depressing. I find this life affirming. And Touche Amore in this vein are the band of recent years that have made me go, oh yeah, that's what I was feeling back then. I'm feeling it now, you know, in like my late 30s, having gone through all kinds of different shit in my life. And I still like, like there's still like, like there's a fire here. There's a fire in those vocals. I would fucking love to go to a show. Yeah. <laughs> Please come to Dublin. <laughs> Please don't do a push of tea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, just commit to the show. Yeah. Please be a nice guy underneath it all. You know, because again, like, I mean, like, for example, like, you know, Brand New, who I picked on yes. the top five recently, I would have picked for this list otherwise, yeah, perhaps, but I didn't because sure. I had them recently and also, you know, Dodgy Territory. But like, you know, Brand New were an emo band that meant the fucking world to me and to many others. And the thing about this genre, again, Midwest or otherwise, is it really does attract devotion. Yeah from the people who buy into it, like, hugely. Mm -hmm. And with Touche Amore, like, I, I'm glad that I can still get that spark again, which mm -hmm. is kind of... And again, for the record, Adam talked me into putting them into the list, so... <laughs> I, like, I, I'm kind of glad I did. Um, I think Fall Out Boy are, like... Fall Out Boy are one of my favourite bands of all time. Like, mm -hmm. they, they absolutely are. I've spoken at, at great lengths on this podcast about them and... um how like Infinity on High is one of my favourite albums ever made Amazing. I think it's incredible um, Take This to Your Grave turned 20 this week by the did, way It did it yeah. did and I think yeah Infinity on High is like 15 years old last year something like that yeah, as well It's like anniversaries just make you feel a certain way <laughs> <laughs> But it's, it, it's really great that I'm, I was seeing a lot of friends who I would have kind of grown up with loving that music posting about it and being like happy 20 years and like stuff like that and yeah, yeah. you know we like we went back to that album for what would have been our, our Fall Out Boy pick but yeah I do think that uh, Sorry on that album by the way uh, Take This To Your Grave I love that the opening track it's a quote from the film Rushmore but it's one of the great song titles which is Tell That Mick He Just Made My List Of Things To Do Today <laughs> Oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's great I, 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 You can forgive the Irish slur that's how good the, the line That's, is you know it's fine It's a great, a great record and it, it was like such an explosive introduction to a band that are still with us today and I, I saw them last year in Marley Park mm -hmm. open up for Green Day I went for them yeah. full disclosure I went for them and I went for them alone I left halfway through Green Day so I was like I've seen Fall Out Boy that's enough wow. and it was phenomenal they mm -hmm. still have it like they still have all of that energy I was scheduling for work that night so I couldn't go I had a ticket and I couldn't go to it I was devastated I was going to go for Weezer that's, how, that's who I was going to go for which is I think says a lot about who I was as a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Touche Amore is our number four. Hugh, your number three, please. My number three is a album that I like. I just remember hearing it and thinking to myself, like this is this has changed everything. As in, it was just it. It was a hugely influential album on the genre. I think, in my opinion, and on me as well. Where I was like, oh my god, like this is what. Midwest emo could be, and I just absolutely love it. So here's a track from it.
I don't know why, but every, even though I picked the tracks, I still get surprised being like, oh my God, I fucking love this song. It's so good. Um, it, that is the song Housebroken from the album Like Home Home Like No Place Is There another very great emo emo album name fantastic and the album cover as well let me tell you an an emo album cover with a house on the front of it you just know it's gonna slap real Uh, hard and who's the act the act is the hotelier which used to be the hotel year and then they decided to change because they were like I think this actually would make just more sense to use an actual word as opposed to these two random words that are just stuck together but yeah uh, Home Like No Place Is There hugely influential in like the, the third wave I guess of emo where you can hear it in like loads of those like bands that have come since then like Menzingers and Spanish Love Songs and like this just an amazing but I just love the quote from uh, the lead singer who whenever they put out the album he just put out this big long lengthy post being like yeah it's quite dark and it's quite deep or whatever but then at the end of it he just went apparently we are emo now uh, which I mean, it's on—it's absolutely undeniable that it is emo. Like it's yeah. like it could not be any more Midwest emo. Some of the tracks that are made also great uh, Midwest emo track names like "Your Deep Rest," as in like your deep sleep, but your like very much tongue in cheek kind of stuff. Uh, loads of stuff like the scope of all this rebuilding and framing, and they all like look at like you know, young people dying and about, like, domestic abuse and about, like, all these pretty heavy topics or whatever, but, like, just the emotion that it gets out of you. Like, the, the start of the album is called An Introduction to the Album. Like, it's very much like a, this has to be heard as a single piece kind of thing, and I love stuff like that where it's, like, and there are other Midwest emo albums like that, which we made top John at some point soon enough, that are, like, this is, this whole album is a, a statement in itself and it kind of deserves to be listened to it the whole time and I completely think that's the case with this album with Home Like No Place Is There because it's just it's powerful stuff it's such a powerful album um, and have you, have you did you listen to this before? Had you no heard this, this, before? My, this is my first my first foray Dave I don't know if you'd heard of them before No no see w- part of this list that I've wanted to happen is I've wanted to be introduced to new things mm-hmm. because what I realised and um, I, like, I can't lie I didn't just rope Adam into the top five because I felt that he should be here well he should be here but also mm. I was like gonna need your help pal <laughs> because I was like this definition is in the geography it's all very confusing to me and I know like you know XYZ emo bands but I don't know if they qualify and then I literally was like I, you know it was one of those things where I think it was Tuesday and I was like oh I'm actually gonna be like out of commission tomorrow for several hours I was like how about let me just run this by <laughs> yeah. you let me, let me throw this up to you real quick it's a wild idea let's team up baby and Adam responded with uh, fervent enthusiasm and I'm so glad that he did uh, no I mean like again you sent me like Hugh sent me a couple of playlists uh, well in advance of this podcast mm. and these playlists are fucking endless oh my god oh, yeah. there's like 500 it's, songs on, on the, uh, you know like, the one yeah the I one, do know exactly if you search Midwest Emo on Spotify it's in all lower caps and it's the fucking densest playlist There's I've ever seen in my life and if, yeah, if you, like, you'll, you'll never come out of them and I was like there, there are so many bands I've never heard of <laughs> so I, I very much was like look I'm going to need Hugh to be an educator this mm-hmm. time around so once again uh, thanks for doing that continue on not a problem at all <laughs> proceed uh, sir proceed with your education no I think the Hotelier are definitely one of those bands where you know, if you're looking into that kind of that more modern, that emo revival sound, third that you were wave particularly, third wave. yeah, yeah, yeah the 2010s, like a kind of late noughties, early 2010s, I think. Yeah, is if you're, kind of vibe if you're into that kind of sound, then you gotta check out the hotel. You're like, they're the the songwriting alone of the lead singer uh, Christian Holden is just incredible, and his voice is just so evocative and emotional. Like, and there are definitely some tracks in there that are definitely a bit more hardcore than they are emo, and then there's more songs that are a bit more emo than they are hardcore, and it's just. It's just a really nice summation of like kind of lots of the lovely little best bits of that of the third wave all put together. Um, And then, as I said, like 
you know, Menzingers and other bands that have done pretty well in the, the emo genre or whatever, all you can definitely hear their influences in the hotelier or you can hear how they were influ- influenced by the hotelier and then they followed it up with goodness which is a great album as well but it kind of falls into that issue of albums where it was the same with donald glover's like Childish gambino's album where it was just all the number titles whatever and um, they did this a similar thing where it was uh titles were all locations so it was just like all coordinates and then some tracks had names so it kind of falls out of I don't know if it's the same for you whenever you're like listening through albums or if you're like, you know, titling it through an album where if it is kind of a, a hard to discern title, you kind of can tend to forget about the songs or whatever. Or like, um, what is it, Untitled Unmastered, the Kendrick Lamar That's album? Exactly oh my God, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where it's like, I loved it when I listened to it, but I couldn't tell the you first, which was uh, what my favourite song of it I was. I think the first Explosion in the Sky album, or one of them, it's one that they kind of re-released at one point and it is like track one, track two. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, I understand it from an artistic statement, but also, there's also a bit come of, on, guys. <laughs> I think there's also like, a, maybe it's used as a device from like certain artists to in, in order to kind of force you to listen to the album as an album. Sure. As a, do you know what I mean? As a opposed to like just picking a song because mm-hmm. it might be it, it, like as a piece of art it might have to be in, I suppose kind of viewed in, that way in or one way yeah yeah exactly as well like if it is something where it's like location coordinates and stuff like that then it's almost like kind of urging the, the listener to be like what are these things like I should I should look up what these things are it's like when you see like albums or whatever song titles that are like addresses or things like that where you're like where is that like why like why did they choose this as their album title or why did they choose this as their song title um or like that you have to like read like a film script as once again Childish Gambino did <laughs> several years ago but yeah no it's um but yeah the, definitely the first album is a is a must listen to um and then Goodness which is the follow-up album is uh if you like that you'll definitely enjoy this but I think if you're going to prioritize them then absolutely Home Like No Place is there. Dave, if you don't mind, I think I'm going to take number three, if that's all right. Well, I was going to say an act that Adam has been saying that everyone should listen to for quite some time is, and, is our number three. And we're also saying, in the same era, that third wave of emo. Nice. I say before you get into this that you put me onto these uh, a few weeks ago whenever we were first talking about doing this like me and Adam and Dave met up uh, in PMAX I think yes, it, was. it was outside PMAX yeah. and I we talked about doing a Midwest emo episode and you were like we you have to, if you, do, you need to check out this band yeah. which are called Balance and Composure everybody nice. listeners of the show know that this is again I'd say one of my top three favourite bands of all time um they're, I was put onto them originally by um, a friend of mine who now lives in Australia, Claire Fitzsimons, who was like a very big, I think she'd be happy enough to say she was a big emo kid back in the day. And um, she was putting me onto like all of these incredible, incredible bands. And this was this was one of them, one of the first ones. Um, so I have to credit her with, with, with that because without kind of that guidance, I, I don't think I would have dived in as deep as I did mm-hmm. but um, been listening to them ever since that song is Reflection it's off The Things We Think We're Missing which is their second full length record I released in 2013 um, bit of 
background on Balancing Composure, founded in Doylestown, Pennsylvania in 2007 after uh, the split of two local bands. I did try and find out who those two local bands were, but I couldn't find out who they were. Uh, members include John Simmons um, on vocals, Daniel Kerrigan on guitar, um, Andy Slaymaker on guitar and vocals. Great name. Matt Warner. Incredible name. Matt Warner on bass, Eric Peterson on guitar and Dave, you're going to love this. Bailey Van Ellis on drums. (laughs) Bram Vandenberg. Vandenberg. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It really is one of them. Um, So the first release came in 2008. Uh, I Just Want to Be Pure, released on CD in an edition of 100 and then later on it um, it was put out digitally after that. There are still CDs floating around on Discogs I did have a look and they're not as expensive as I thought they were it was about mm. gone for about 50 euro a CD okay and for like a, a, like for diehard fans things like that are, are gold us and we spoke about sorry Dave mentioned the scene and how kind of uh, loyal it is and how people really dive into it and really get involved a major part of that scene was like the merch and like kind of following on from the hardcore scene where they would have like had those t-shirts and there was so t-shirts and vinyl at shows. This has continued on through the emo genre and like emo vinyls are still very sought after pieces, generally being more interesting presses, like different colours and stuff like that. So um, Balancing Composure, no exception. Um, so they went on to release a number of EPs, most notably at the time a self-titled joint compilation with band Tiger's Jaw on No Sleep Records. Um, it's just a Balancing Composure Tiger's Jaw that's the that's the name of the record um, some great songs on there nothing I can think of off the top of my head but it is definitely worth a listen as an intro um, particularly if you like the first record which is called Ref- uh, sorry not Reflection it's called Separation I had Reflection written down in my notes um, Separation came in 2011 followed by The Things We Think We're Missing in 2013 which uh, charted at number 51 the Billboard 200 which was an interesting one um, especially from uh a lot of these bands at the time kind of were very uh, hesitant about selling out, mm-hmm. as, as I think is probably obvious by, you know, genre memes and stuff like that. So um, they did have one more album after that called The Light We Made in 2016, followed by an EP of B-Sides in 2017 called Slow Heart, um, which John Simmons then went on to speak about. Um, on the Vagrant Records podcast, they released The Light We Made and Slow Heart on Vagrant Records. The split, they ha- they did split up in 2019. Um, but they're back. <laughs> I was going to get to that. <laughs> they, they are back. Um, they are back now. They actually just put out an AB side. Um, they put an AB side out last month. Uh, Save Your Mode and The Last To Know are the two songs on there. Incredible. Absolutely mm. phenomenal. Kind of a, a real interesting throwback to the 2013 sound but like so clean so clear everything is just like the songwriting's brilliant instrumentation's brilliant production is brilliant Um, all the records have been produced by Will Yip um, who is uh, again very popular in that genre having done a lot of stuff with Title Fight um, who's another big big band who who would have been mentioned in conversations with the likes of American Football uh, you know Touche Amore um, I, I feel like he might have done work with Touche as well um, but like I said the split was fairly acrimonious um, it was there was a bit of tension cited by John Simmons on the, the Vagrant podcast in May 22 about the drummer's involvement in the in that record The Light We Made and how he was kind of very 
against any kind of criticism. He was he wasn't really moving, wasn't working really collaboratively, and there were also allegations of someone stealing money from either within the band or from the record side. Um, so they split after that, kind of in the middle of a tour kind of not in the middle of a tour. It was a bit of a weird one. They had some dates tentatively booked. Um, they ended up using them as their last shows. Did some of their last shows um, across America with support band, none other than Touche Amore, Dave. Fucking hell. Yeah, would it, you believe? That would be a hell of a night out. I, let me tell you, <laughs> it's, uh, it, could, it could happen again. Adam and I in the front row. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Crying. But, yeah, <laughs> bawling. Just full absolutely. of tears. Um, so yes, they have um, They have a new, um, they have a new drummer now whose name I, ha- oh, sorry, whose name is Dennis Wilson. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the departure of Daniel Kerrigan, who was on guitar. Um, so he's no longer in the band. But yeah, I love this band so much. I, I, I really do. I don't think there's much more I can say. Um, I think check out the things we think we're missing. If you like what you just heard, that mm-hmm. song reflection is from that record. And um, then you can go back to separation as well. If you like something a bit, a little bit raw, but the things we think we're missing is number one for me. And I would agree because it's you. That was the album you told me to listen to, and I was like, "Absolutely, this rocks." A hundred percent. I'm glad. I'm glad. The I'm glad it it worked out that yeah, way. It, listen, you've got a great taste. Uh, my number two is like it's it's undisputed how influential this band is in the genre. I think it would have surprised people that it wasn't at number one. Did they buy a house this week? I'm not going at liberty to say until immediately after you hear the snippet. how the fuck is this not your, your number one? But yeah, okay. listen, I'm telling you. have to appreciate the fact that Dave was like, how the fuck is this not your number one? Uh, for anyone who doesn't know immediately, I mean, I think they wouldn't, I, well, unless you were a hardcore fan, or not a hardcore fan, but if you were a fan, you might not know this is Stay Home from the album American Football by the band American Football, who are, if one of, if not, the most influential Midwest emo band ever. And we've already touched them before with how uh, Mike Kinsla from Cap and Jazz uh, started the band up with a few of his mates when he was in college. I think that album came out when he was 20, I believe, which is just insane. When he, Well, no, part of it is insane. The musical aspect of it is insane when you think about some of the tracks. So like Never Meant and like The Summer Ends and uh, all these kind of like big name tracks. But then also, so the, the actual like instrumental quality of them are just incredible and like that it's coming out of these like 19 and 20 year olds but then you look at the lyrical content and like the names of the songs and the, it as he wrote himself or as he said himself they were very much like notes from diaries and things that he wrote like as a teen and as like you know lost love and all this kind of crack so there's songs where it's like you know I should be leaving and the immediate track after that is called but the regrets are killing me <laughs> and you know it's very much like it feels like a like a diary that's been put out almost kind of like Pinkerton-esque like Weezer's Pinkerton-esque where it's very much hard on sleeve like the whole every sort of emotion on your sleeve like mm-hmm. this is how I felt at this time and I'm going to put this out 
and they put out that album and they played a few shows until I think 2000 I think so the album came out in 97 I believe which means the album is as old as I am not to make you all feel very old uh, cheers just to get, thanks just, appreciate just to get that just to oh, get that, that, young, quick, that, that quick dig in I had to do uh, what you're younger you're you're around the same well not the same age as me but you're I, well it's very, kind, very kind of you to say oh, never, never ask a sonic architect age. <laughs> unbelievable I was born in 1993 okay so okay you're not that much fuck older fuck both of you <laughs> a, little, a little bit older Jesus uh, I'm bridging the gap guys I'm bridging exactly, the gap listen you're bringing us together as any good sonic architect would do and I so they banned and they released this album and they tour for a little bit and then as has been the kind of running theme of a lot of these bands is then they break up and they go off to millions of different other things so as you mentioned before Joan of Arc and Owling yeah. and uh, Mike Kinsler set up a solo project called Owen which is all this kind yeah, of solo right, music yeah. stuff which is great as well. Yeah, very folky. Very folky. Very folky. And but still kind of keeping that like those kind of odd odd time signatures and, you know, open tunings on guitar, mm-hmm. like, you know, playing an open F and in D diminished and like all these like mad kind of like keys and stuff. And it was actually gas. So I've seen American football. I'm very happy to say that I've seen American football. Where and in, when? In the button factory in 2017 I think it was it was immediately after Electric Picnic they weren't playing at Electric Picnic but it was immediately after so I did three days of Electric Picnic came back to Dublin and immediately went to see American Football who was being supported by Pillow Queens uh, How was I not at this game? What a double header It was fantastic It was absolutely amazing uh, And then the following night again After that then Mike Kinsler does a solo show As Owen in The Upstairs of Whelan's And for anyone who has been in The Upstairs of Whelan's It's this very small, very intimate room and maybe there was like 50 of us in there. It's a, it's a, I think it's like a hundred cap or something I like think that. so, yeah. It was a very small um, room and uh, Mike Kinsler is tuning his guitar to all these different tunings between every song. So half the gig is in playing the songs and half the gig is in awkward silence while you hear a bang, 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 like that, like that <laughs> lovely sound of tuning a guitar and especially tuning it to like, you know, these like notes said, that open F yeah open F like, like, like C, G, C, G, A, D like you know, all this mad stuff mm. or whatever and uh, even I think the most standard song he plays which is a song called Oh Evelyn I think is like you know it's like almost in standard tuning where it's like E, A, D, G, B and then it's like D it's like no we got to tune that that, that <laughs> bottom string we've got to bring it down a bit uh, but I just think like and obviously like because I'm just I'm absolutely enamored with him I think that Mike Kinsler is like a genius like as in like just the, the the legacy that he has had and that Tim Kinsler has had on the genre is incredible and it's ridiculous and that also it helps then that they you know, came back and are still kind of part of like the whole movement that's going on because the album became like a cult classic, basically. Well, I left, uh, I actually left out uh, the new section this week because I knew that they'd be in your top five, <laughs> but uh, they bought the house off the cover of the album. This is what I mean. It's such they a cult saved symbol. the house. Yeah, it's it was such... the record label, I think, actually bought okay, it. Okay. I don't think it was the, well, the Kinsler Brothers, was it? It was. So it was the band, the record label, and I think a few other like investors that were involved in Love that. music or whatever. Um, so they've now bought that because the house was up for sale. The house that's on the album cover. And I, I would be remiss if it's not the cover of this uh, I th- podcast I was episode. thinking it probably would be. It would 100% so, yeah. has and to the, be. On the preview posted on, uh, on patreon.com slash no encore for this episode, I included a very similar image. Yeah. <laughs> just, it's, uh, it's a great just, picture. Yeah. <laughs> like It just has that kind of weird... Homer Simpson staring at the stars thing or something. I love you know? that, yeah. I, yeah, love yeah. That picture. I know exactly which picture you're talking about. Um, but yeah, and it, it, my favourite thing about 
American football or one of my favorite things about it is that they were gone for so long. So like the album comes out in 97 and then they, they're gone for like 16 years to the point where, and I think I texted this to you, a different band set up in China called Chinese football. <laughs> and they're great. Really love cool. the innovation, re- guys. Re- oh, listen, they were like, this is like they were like we love this music. This is great. Whatever we're gonna play this like jang like these, these like you know twinkling guitar riffs and all this kind of stuff. And we're gonna you know write like Midwest emo style music. And they were like American football has been gone for like fourteen years. They're not gonna come back. It's fine. And then I think as they were getting ready to release the first album, American football announced that they were reuniting and returning. And it's just so funny that like then they were like, well, it's too late now. Uh, we've all, we've we've got in too deep. Uh, but Chinese football is actually a great band, and I would really recommend. Um, They're your number Pro. one pick on this. <laughs> Obviously, of course. Yeah. Well, I mean. Everything's better in China. I think everything's made, when it's made in China, it's so much better. Okay, um, my number two is not from the Midwest. This is my Long Island, New York shout, and uh, like they just had to be here because I mean, like so much of this kind of there's a nostalgia to everything, and even the sound of American football, you know, is present. You know, you can hear it in the music. I get that from I got a lot of that from this band. So uh, yeah, and I think um, I gave Adam a few options here for audio. I think he's gone for like not their biggest hit, but I think it's like their most well known. And yeah, I mean, a banger to this day. Let's go. do it had to do it his reaction was amazing he threw his head in his hands I was literally like no well hang on hang on lads what are we doing well I'll tell you what we're doing we're taking back Sunday oh please leave Sunday where it is please <laughs> I, I insist that you put it back where it was not a fan oh, no I love it taking back of course I love taking back it's taking back Sunday uh, from Long Island New York that song is Make Damn Sure off their third album Later Now it's come out in 2006 I believe um so a lot of what emo is to me and what, what, what it kind of means to me is it feels like the music that would soundtrack summers I didn't have. Mm, you know what I mean? Yeah. That kind I, of, I like that. It re- that really paints a picture. Yeah. That kind of very American Calvin and Hobbes thing where you can kind of taste the freshly cooked mm-hmm. grass. But like, you know, I on occasion would have those summers because like I'd be in my friend Adam's back garden with all the guys and like all the guys were into this kind of stuff. And there'd be sing-alongs to fucking take him back Sunday songs. Sounds so lame, but it was the greatest. And I wish I could go back and just grab it again for like one day, you know? It absolutely is, though, that like... Because it's just, sorry, like, like it, yeah. this level of just ridiculous raw angst and just like, 100%. you know, and again, like stuff like, you know, that's make damn sure, but like stuff like, you know, a decade under the influence, you know, and uh, cute without the E, of course. And of course, the the, the Taking Back Sunday lyric I always mention whenever I mention the most emo lyric of all time, <laughs> uh, sing along if you know it. And the truth is that you could slit my throat and with my one last gasping breath, I'd apologize for bleeding on your shirt. <laughs> So yeah, um, is that from There's No I in Team, possibly? Uh, one of the most ridiculously over-the-top emo bands ever. Uh, frontman Adam Lazara, who just, you know, he had a feud with Jesse Lacey, brand new, of course. They were friends. They fell out over a lyric that they both said that they wrote independently of each other, but, you know, whatever. And then he had this weird shit going on, because like, Adam Lazara loves to swing the microphone around. Mm-hmm. That was kind of his gimmick, like yeah. a lasso. Um, and then brand new brought out, like, T-shirts that were, like, that said microphones are for singing not swinging which is so embarrassing oh, okay <laughs> so 
I remember my 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 good friend Adam Adam Walker who uh, turned me on to so much music when I was younger. I remember walking to his house once and he gave me the entire story of the feud between Taking Back Sunday and Brand New, and all this stuff was kind of like slightly kind of pre-internet as well, mm. kind of around that the dawning of that kind of stuff. And it was just a lot of this stuff was passed on by people telling you about it, like your friends who were big into emo, big into this kind of stuff. And yeah, I loved it. It was just like, I take it back Sunday to me or like they very much go through the ceiling and become quite comical and it's very over the top. But goddamn if it isn't anthemic and goddamn if, you know, late teens, early 20s, Dave didn't fucking adore this when it was put in front of him. And I saw Taking Back Sunday in Whelan's um, on their like 20th anniversary tour of of uh, Tell All Your Friends mm. and it was amazing <laughs> it was fucking amazing and everyone was there all the fucking scene kids were there and it was just like everyone in the crowd probably knew everybody else kind of thing. Yeah. oh yeah big time big yeah. time yeah and they played like 20 they played, like, played the full album then played like about 10 more songs and it was just like and again I said this on the podcast before but it was like the drummer looks like he's an accountant now but there they are you know it's just like I don't know I think I think in a way that I think this music has weirdly grown old gracefully because mm-hmm. it's so fucking heart in your sleeve mm-hmm. and it's so but like Taking Back Sunday if they were good at one thing it was extremely fast paced shout along choruses that were just like weirdly universal I think like the, the kind of naffness of some of it fades away when you get to those choruses because you're just like you know I can't not sing along to like you know to hell with you and all your friends <laughs> like it's it's so it's just way too hard in the sleeve that I'm like, that's, it's it's undeniable. Mm. So yeah, they had to be here. They fucking had to be here. And I do think again, you know, is it Midwest emo? It's certainly influenced by it. There's no, no question. So mm-hmm. good old Adam Lazara. What a man. What a king. Uh, yeah, no, as soon as I heard it, I was like, that is, what a shout. What an absolute shout. Uh, but on your point, like where it's like that nostalgia point, or whatever, I feel like even if you haven't heard Midwest, like the summers I never had, just... Dave, you're very good at this, I have to say. Summers I never had would be a good one. And I, and I remember, of course, let's not forget, I said this a long time on the podcast ago, but like I remember seeing on Facebook of all things that no one uses anymore, I remember seeing like a notification on someone's profile and it said, your friend since September. I'm like, that is the best, <laughs> right? the <laughs> best like... emo band name of all time. And I remember as well talking about Andrea Cleary before and how she's big into Halloween. And I said, she made me learn to love October. <sighs> So your friends in September, she made me learn to love October and summers I never had. Coming to a triple bill near you. <laughs> <laughs> I think, and then Tushi Mori obviously supporting them as oh, well. Yeah, yeah. yeah, of <laughs> yeah. I, With a twenty-minute set, as, as they should, <laughs> as they should. All right, my, your number one, sir. My number one, and it was again to your point about nostalgia and about this was the the first Midwest emo band that I was turned on to and I didn't realise that it was Midwest emo at the time it was just my friend being like hey check out this song by this band or whatever from Philadelphia and I was like absolutely yeah I'll check this out and I listened to it and it just became this lifelong obsession with them and this isn't the track that he showed me but it's another one that it was so hard to pick one but I think this is one that I think kind of captures their vibe the best. to listen to that and not cry is actually really difficult uh so that song is just another face by modern baseball 
who are my number one pick and as in as in as a whole as in their entire body work that song in particular is very emotionally resonant through to the story of the whole band and to like my story listening to them and stuff because that was the last track on their last full-length album Holy Ghost and you know there was a, a kind of a short documentary put alongside with the album which showed like the lead singer Brent Lukens there kind of like struggles with mental health and how you know there was uh, you know ideation and all that kind of stuff and it was so, stuff as simple as like text messages from the band that I kind of kept them from um, you know following through with these ideations and just as a whole the band has such an amazing kind of like so they started in 2012 as college teens or teenagers in school whatever and then college uh, afterwards like they're all like 1920 whenever it starts off with the first album which is called sports and also modern baseball like again you can see the american football influence yeah. almost immediately yeah. um loads of songs about like you know like heartbreak and you know there's songs there's one song called like at chloe k on twitter or whatever you know like isn't like literally talking about like sending like DMs to like a girl on Instagram or Twitter or whatever, which is like, it was a very universal experience for little Hugh Carr in, you know, little 16 year old me, uh, you know, where my friends are writing poetry over like, you know, girls that they fancied and stuff like that. And I was a very nerdy little kid um, and a very nerdy teen and modern baseball then with their follow up album after that, which is you're going to miss it all. Just like the first song that I was shown was um, a song from that album and it wasn't this uh, your graduation. It was fine, great, which I think is the opening track. I really thought you would have picked your graduation. Uh, your graduation is a great, which track. is amazing. It's a yeah. fantastic track, especially for that bit where the drummer starts to sing and then never does it again across their whole discography. <laughs> and it's amazing. You just get this real hardcore style voice where uh, out of nowhere kicks in, and it's amazing. And the, you know, it's like a kind of like a more focus on the drum solo bit or whatever. Um, but yeah, the band has since gone on hiatus since 2017 I actually missed out on a chance to see them because I think I was either doing the leave insert or I had just missed out on a chance to see them and my friend saw them by accident in the Roshan Dove in Galway and I'll never forgive her for it um, <laughs> because, you? Uh, why would I listen because they were like oh I haven't heard of this but like who's playing tonight and someone was like oh it's just some band called Modern Baseball whatever and then she said it was like one of the most incredible gigs that she's ever been to in her entire life um, but yeah it was so hard to pick one track there's also Tears Over Beers which is an amazing song there's Rock Bottom which is an amazing song there is Charlie Black which is an amazing song there's Pothole there's like there's so much The Wedding Singer is a great track it really for me like it just really encapsulates everything about Midwest Emo that's amazing where it just captures like a moment and it just like fully kind of distills it into its most like emotional and raw um, essence and then you know it's so fleeting because you know the band only existed for like five years five or six years and yeah Brent Lukens then retired from the band and kind of cited mental health reasons and they've since transitioned I believe and uh, other members of the band have continued on and formed bands like Slaughter Beach Dog which is a great kind of like also Midwest emo but it's kind of more folk kind of uh, uh, focused band um, because it was a songwriting duo between Brent Lukens and it's going to kill me that I can't remember the name of the other person I believe it was Aaron was I think it was his name um, Aaron Dessner everybody Aaron Dessner <laughs> listen and that little boy grew up to be um, it was just an, they're huge Jake sorry Jake Elwald 
and who they like shout out each other by name and song and stuff like that, where it very much felt like a diary that you were getting access to and that you could kind of really get in, into whatever. So you again, that whole thing about emo and Midwest emo where people become obsessed with it and becomes like, you know, if you fall in love with a band, you are in love with a band hard and they're shouting each other out by name and stuff. Um, yeah, just amazing, amazing stuff. There's, a, they have an EP called The Perfect Cast. The, the Mobile presents The Perfect Cast EP featuring Modern Baseball, which is an incredible <laughs> name for an EP. Um, but they have a song called The Thrash Particle, which I think is really worth listening as well. But just as a whole, if you're wanting to get into Midwest emo, I could not emphasize enough how important modern baseball is to me and I would really encourage anyone to check them out. I'm really glad that they made it to this list because they were on our long list and, yeah, I, and, and, and they got bumped and I was like, oh fuck, I hope you pick them. Uh, <laughs> I, I think actually if you guys are up, what I would, what I would like to do is uh, for the Patreon for next week when I do like the preview post or whatever, I'd like to put it in a playlist and I think, I think what we should do is uh, based on the acts that we've chosen in this list, let's each pick five tracks per act. Oh yeah, love that. The best five the best five Taken Back Sunday, the best five modern, are our favourite because he listed a bunch of them there. So like, you know. Yeah. I just, also found it very hard to find like Balancing Composure, one Balancing Composure song because yeah, there's will, so many. Yeah. Which will wind up with, if my maths are correct, that'll be 50 songs. Yeah. So it'll be 50 songs based on this particular top five, which I'll throw it in, into the Patreon. So patreon.com slash no encore. Uh, we'll do that over the weekend. We'll get that out next week. Mm-hmm. But for now, to finish the show, my number one, again, an act I talked about to death, but, you know, I just don't see how I can do this list. And they're not from the Midwest, which, again, you know, I, I needed that slide definition of like, well, Midwest emo means more than just geography because <laughs> this band are from... I really had to push in that direction. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it began to eat my brain. Like, I was just like, how the fuck... Uh, but this band are from our Arizona, which is not in the American Midwest. Uh, no, but no, uh, but they're they're such stalwarts of this genre, and like to me, like it's kind of like they're like, they're like a dictionary definition. So <laughs> here we go. So that's uh, that's Jimmy World. The song is Lucky Denver Mint. It is the lead single off the album Clarity. Mm-hmm. Um, you think about like you, you go back to Jimmy World's discography and like you know the fucking the run of Static Prevails in '96, Clarity in '99, Bleed American, aka the self-titled in 2001. Even up as far as Futures, I would say in 2004. Mm-hmm. That is, a, and they have like a, a self-titled album in '94 as well. That's a ridiculous run and fantastic. It's, it's just. Undeniable. But going back, like as I have in recent months, going back to like Clarity in particular and like songs that, you know, just watch the fireworks and so on. I'm just like, man, this like everything hits, everything works. Um, I find as well, like with Jimmy World, like uh, Jim Atkins vocals, they're so comforting. (laughs) Um, They're so warm and comforting. And I don't know, like there's something about Jimmy World where I feel like on the on on the emo side of things, away from the, the screamy angst of it, the screamo nature, which I do love as well, obviously. There's something about Jimmy World that feels reassuring to me. Yeah, it feels like they're giving me a hug. It feels like they're like, "It's going to be okay, man," and I believe them. You know, it doesn't feel fake. Mm-hmm. I think as they've gotten older, the albums, you know, diminished a bit in quality, and it got a little bit like a bit samey, a bit oversaccharine. I felt like they were kind of writing songs for like the Friday Night Lights soundtrack at a certain point. It was just <laughs> like, you know, you can win the big game or something. It was just it got a little bit too away from the authenticity of it. Although their most recent record wasn't too bad in 2019, and they are a band that I love. I think I've only seen them live once, which feels very wrong to me. Mm. Um, I find them just really anthemic and life-affirming in that emo way. 
And, you know, again, I mentioned heart on their sleeve for Deccan Back Sunday. Jimmy World might be the ultimate heart in the sleeve band. And so, yeah, it's so, um, so sincere, isn't it? It's it's like everything they do is incredibly sincere. It really is. oozes sincerity. It's crazy sincere. And I think that that might be off putting to some, but to me, it's actually very, very helpful. And, you know, even stuff like, you know, songs that I didn't, you know, I liked the kind of, you know, like, like a track like The Middle, you know, which, which I thought was like, it's not my favorite track in that album or anything, but like you know, the more as you get older, you're like, there's something comforting about this one. Like it is. It's I just, guess you could say it's going to take some time. Uh, hey, <laughs> I think I was walking by uh, w- w- the other day. I was walking by like a car, and someone had it blaring out their window, and I was just like, I, and I felt like I was like, I bet I could like stop and talk to this person. <laughs> I didn't. Thank, thank God. <laughs> but I just know. Cause I, yeah, because I know that we'd have a connection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now, they, they, they've always been like this wonderful constant. And, and I do love going back to, because like the, the self-titled, aka Bleed American, was when I first heard of them in Kerrang! TV or MTV2, the lead single. And I literally was just like, what the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. I was like, what is that? That's unbelievable. Where has this been all my life? Mm-hmm. And then going back to stuff like Clarity and Static Prevails, you're like, well, these are two of the best albums ever written. Yeah. They're just unbelievable. These songs are so, they're such tentpoles of the, and, and I can't, I can't think of the word emo without thinking of Jimmy Eat World. It just comes to mind, they come to mind straight away. And you can, what's great about Jimmy Eat World is they took it and did something different. Like, I know all of that kind of era thereafter of the first wave, quote unquote, there's, by the way, there's so many there's so much the wank, so much wankiness around yeah, around the genre. It's, it's like, like academic at some point. Oh my god! Like, like if yeah. if you want to just like see that in action, go on to like Reddit or forward slash emo. Oh, it's it's yeah. incredible. Read the sidebar anyway, and they list it in like years, wave, yeah, 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 by years and stuff like that. So, but like Jimmy World, what they've done, what they did was they came along, they did their own thing. They they had all the elements. They were definitely clearly influenced by the likes of American football, by the likes of Captain Jazz mm-hmm. by the likes of Sunny, like you can hear Sunny Day Real Estate all over them you know like it's it's phenomenal what they managed to make their own and kind of carry the torch on for like ge- like generations upon generations and I think am I right in saying they're the only band in these two lists that haven't broken up Oh, oh no! Taking Max Sunday are still together, I think. But uh, did, did they ever take a hiatus on the first tour? Particularly, seems to be a common thread. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I think that seems to be in there. Let me why, look it up. Let why me look you it look up. that up? I think yeah. I no no. Oh, Taking Max Sunday years active nineteen ninety nine to present. Oh wow! Phenomenal. Phenomenal. So, so out of ten bands that we've listed, two have two never had it. Yeah. Um, I always feel <laughs> what that. What a I'm hit so, rate! I'm, I, yeah. What a <laughs> two out of ten. I, how dare you? Uh, I. I'm so glad that you picked Jimmy Eat World because I always feel like they get forget, forgotten about in the conversation of emo and about especially like albums like Clarity and stuff. Like, because I think whenever people think nat- naturally think of Jimmy Eat World, they do think of Bleed American and like the, the middle or whatever, which is now kind of transcended into this like, I don't know, like college football style. Yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. Know, like it's like the background. Do you know it's like a montage. It's probably the a, fucking theme music for like a utopian American town. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like, 100%. By the way, Touche and Moria haven't broken up either. Okay, phenomenal. Less Great. time together, 2007, Jimmy Rose 93, Taking Max Sunday's 99. But there's Touche Moira is still a, okay, well, a solid good. as a rock out of I'm very like glad. <laughs> a, a 30% hit rate. 30%. Not bad. Not bad. I'm telling you, we're almost at a pass. Uh, <laughs> so I think, yeah, I'm glad that you picked them. And again, I, I as you were saying before as well, it was so difficult trying to know oh, yeah. the sound. I yeah. said to you, I was like, I think I would have a, a honorable mentions list like the size of the Library of Alexandria. Like it was just <laughs> literally just an insane amount of bands that should that I like 
would have loved to have added to the list. Yeah. Um, and there's so much that you can like t- you could categorize. Yes, I think, and that's the, that was the issue that we had with Fallout Boy particularly. Um, but I do think that I, I like I. Adam I think, was very passionate. I wasn't. That his beloved Fall Out Boy should be excluded. From God, God, God help you! And honestly, I, through the tears, you've actually managed oh, to put listen, together a very good it, list. It was, so. uh, yeah, no, look, I, I I love both of those lists. I think they're great. It is endless, though. It is it, it is an endless genre, which is mm-hmm. good. And again, we will try our best to kind of compartmentalize it by each picking five from all the acts that we've done in this top five. Mm-hmm. I'll put that out on Patreon.com/slash No Encore early next week. Uh, for now, though, Hugh Carr. How are you feeling after that? And also, where can people find more of your stuff? I feel plug, like, plug, plug. I feel life-affirmed is what I feel. Uh, I So, my name is Hugh Carr, in case you forgot. Uh, you can find me at Hugh Carr here on Twitter, Hugh Carr here on Instagram, and Hugh Carr on TikTok. Because am I the first person to plug a TikTok account on this? Uh, I think so. You I think what? he is. I yeah. mean, like, you are disgust- is that disgustingly sign? young. I was so, going to say, yeah. is that by side of my age? Where I'm like, hey, you should check out my TikTok page, uh, where I'll be posting random Eurovision updates over the weekend. So... Keep an eye out on that. Uh, you also have a podcast. I also have a podcast and it's called Nishanslihe, which is the Irish word for the chancers. And it's spelled, for anyone who needs a hand, is S-E-A-N-S-A for the L-A-I-T-H-E. A nice, easy word to spell when you're trying to sell a podcast. Find um, on Spotify, yeah. But Jesus. yeah, no, it's a it's an Irish comedy podcast. It's myself and my two very good dear friends, Anya Weir and James O'Flarta, and we talk about what's been going on in the week. We do live shows regularly. We're doing a live show at Irish Language Festival Fail in the Galley, which is happening in Rathcarn and Meads in June. We're hoping to do a few more live shows as well. Uh, I do stand up every now and then, and so keep an eye out on mostly Irish language stand-up, But I'm 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 tipping the toe into English language stand up every now and then as well. And then yeah, check out my stuff on Joe.ie, I suppose as well. Check out the the travel blogs and the silly memes and more Irish language content. I'm just a very busy boy. He is I also a very busy boy. Sometimes do voiceovers for children's cartoons for in Irish, which is my weird flex. Um, <laughs> That's your weird flex. It is. To the point where uh, a friend of mine... Not child, having an English degree without having read Shakespeare. This is your weird flex. I didn't have to. I was reading... Actually, I wasn't reading at all. I was, <laughs> I, uh, I, my friend told me that they were watching a, a cartoon. It was called like Finny and Shark or something like that. And her child was like, Hugh, Hugh. And she was like, come on. Like, I know that Hugh sometimes does these things, but it can't be. But it was me. It was my voice in the, in the cartoon, uh, which means I need to... Uh, brush up my acting chops. Transcend. Yeah. You transcend uh, d- being a shark. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, it's a small animated world out there, but uh, a very animated episode. Hugh Carr, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Uh, I, will, I will tag Hugh's Instagram in on Instagram when I post about this show. So if you follow me there, at Henry Dave, you'll, you'll be able to track him down. <laughs> worth doing, uh, worth following, and okay. worth listening to. And uh, yeah, thanks for all the emotional angst that you brought to the show today. I know, and I always feel like I'm such a, like a cheery person as well. So, so I'm always, I think it always surprises people then when I'm like, yeah, no, I love like crushingly depressing film or music. And stuff. <laughs> you know, I was just saying like I was like I've literally been doing nothing but listening to Ants from up there. You know, the Black Country New Road album. I've literally done nothing but listen to that since Monday. Um, and but I'm I'm actually doing really well. I just, want, I, just want, I, just, I just want to let you all know. For anyone concerned, yeah. yeah. Glad to know. And uh, finally, of course, uh, to the man who, if he ever left this operation, it would put me in tears. It is, of course. <laughs> The amazing Sonic Architect Adam. Thank again, you. Again, another phenomenal, phenomenal link. Link King, <laughs> yeah, baby. Link, link King Dave. Link Daddy. That's, oh, oh, that's much worse. I'm not <laughs> editing that out. My name is Dave Hanready. This has been No Encore. There shall be no encore. Take care. Much love. Bye bye.
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.